Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. There is a saying that you don't stop playing when you grow old, but rather you grow old when you stop playing. Iconic Life is an adventure-driven company that seeks to embrace life to the fullest and to never stop playing. Check out their natural hemp CBD products that help those that believe in that philosophy. Check out Iconic.com. Spelled I-K-A-N-I-K. Again, Iconic.com. Or on their Instagram at Iconic Life. Bonsai balls! They only use real Asahi, not like all those other imitators using sorbet full of sugar. Yuck! They also get their honey from a and bee pollen from a bee farm. Healthy and delicious. No processed honey. What also makes them amazing is that they roast and make their own peanut butter. Damn! They've got seven locations and download the Bonsai Bowl app to skip the line. Skip the line. Order ahead. Bonsai Bowl. Healthy, delicious. Ashland. Hard seltzer. Crafted in San Diego. It's an adult beverage built for all walks of life. Bro, you've had it. I've had it. It's delicious. It is so good. It's refreshing. Only 100 calories. All organic. No sugar. Also gluten-free with 0.0 carbs. Hashtag enjoy cold Ashland hard seltzer. Also supported by Octopus, the massive corporate juggernaut. Octopus, making stuff for people who actually surf. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Shade Sunscreen. The best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen. It's been around since the sun. Shade Shade. Sunscreen. (laughs) Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Wow. Our guest this week, surfer, skater, photographer, and artist. At 16 years old, he was on his way to do great things in all these fields, but life took a turn for the worst. He dropped out of high school, became a drug addict, resulting in two years in prison for drug-related charges. Way to start it off, Lar. But his story didn't end there. It was during his incarceration he managed to heal himself and focus his skills through art, finding peace and immersing himself in his work, pulling inspiration from his passions, his travels, and his colorful past. Yeah. Who wrote this for you? He has been able to use those experiences and translate it into his artwork. He has had his own exhibitions, and he's been commissioned by some of the most recognized venues, such as the Soho House and the Viper Room. (laughs) This guy has had an NBA sneaker collab. We're going to talk about that for sure. He's even painted the Stanley Cup. What? 
<laughs> this is crazy. And not even that, he's Wait, had... Wait, for the Chicago Blackhawks? For the Blackhawks, we'll get into that. And a freaking jet airplane, a 12-seater jet airliner, full wrap. It looks insane, I looked it up. <laughs> we are stoked to sit down and welcome Luis Lu. Carry on. Yeah, yeah buddy. What's up, boys? Fucking hey, Seal Beach. I watched the Seal Beach OG of that it, on the plane. It's yep. freaking amazing. Seal Beach OG. Seal Beach OG. Seal Beach. We're low go. Yeah, hey, man. I, I think it's been twenty years since I've seen you. Probably a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Long, so long time. I was like, so we we gotta say, you know, this is the third time I'm gonna compliment. Uh, late night with a really strong opening. I mean, that information was yeah. that was that was good info. That was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I'm starting to think. I don't know, man. I I, I don't. I'm taking this shit seriously. I, think, man. Man. I think is I really. I think my you? publicist probably put that together. And he pulled it offline. <laughs> hey, I'm passionate about our show. I put a lot of work into this, man. Uh, finally, yeah. finally, finally, uh, yeah. finally, dude. Yeah. You know, it sounded awesome. Thank God it. You start, awesome. you know, you, you, I'm trying to like you know get uh, the guests fucking pumped before yeah. they come in and hey, sit down and spill his. Yeah, spilled all the beans. All the beans. People are now like, wait, what? Yeah, I'm gonna have to dig my way out of this one huh? oh, I love it dude but thank, thank you. you for coming yeah, yeah. Um, this is a great honor and privilege yeah. for us uh, you know we 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 haven't talked to each other really but we see each other from time to time and, and it's been amazing to see your growth throughout the years and then bam surprise you're fucking mega superstar artist which is pretty dope now, I don't know about that but I'm on we'll my way I'm on yeah. my way to uh, <laughs> something of that nature and uh yeah, it's cool. Before yeah. we get to that, let's uh, start at the very beginning and tell us how you found surfing. So, um, moved to Seal Beach in fourth grade, you know, from from? Uh, from my parents grew up in the ghetto in Wilmington. So, my parents grew up right next to the projects, uh, Longshoremen. I got a crazy Mexican side of my family that's all, you know, gangbangers and Wilm- Wilmington and neighbor- <laughs> neighborhood like cats. And my dad wanted to get me out of it. So my dad was a fireman and a longshoreman. He worked two jobs really yeah. hard. And then uh, he moved us to Seal Beach when I was in like fourth, fifth grade. And uh, I was just skating super hard at that time. And I was riding for like Vision Streetwear. Already? And, yeah, at that time. And I was winning like every contest in like the Mayfair Mayhem. And I had great sponsors. was winning all the 11 and unders and from Castle Contests. And I was like the... I was the next like under... Chet Thomas, I was like he was above me, and I was winning everything in the division below. Seriously? Yeah. So That's I was like, really awesome. And so what, what was your like skate like just street or were you street, doing? Like, I was doing street contests yeah. at like by eight to ten years old, like doing huge launch ramps and just. I was just gonna and, say launch ramps was doing like handrails before like anybody when I was like as tall as the handrail. Yeah. Um, so you, and then, you were. You were already skateboarding in Wilmington, moved to... Wilmington, Long Beach, and then Seal Beach. Okay. And uh, I was like a staple on all of the skateboard contests, castle contests, and mini mini ramp. Yeah. And the street. And then... How did, uh, how did you get sponsored? Like... Because I was winning. I was I won yeah. literally every contest at that and age. Who, do you I, remember who approached you like and said, hey, um, see the well, mini ramp out there? Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> I, I saw it. So I had, a co- I had a cousin, uh, Jason Fine at the time, and he... Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. He was riding for uh, Vision Streetwear. He was riding for Venture Trucks. Mm. He was riding, so I pretty much was just on his... Like, he would tell the companies about me, and then I was, like, super grom yeah. on the flow team and had all my stuff for free and was, like, putting stickers on my board. Yeah, I, it sounds pretty similar to surfing when it's, like, you win contests. That's, like, your kind of resume. Like, oh, yeah. I, I won this, this, yeah. and this event, you yeah. know, because there wasn't really much yeah. else. Were you tripping? Like, because that's pretty young, right? Like, fourth, fifth grade to, to start getting free shit. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, like, by sixth grade. Yeah, fifth grade, sixth grade. I was, yeah. like, yeah, it was there, and I wanted to be pro skater. I had the cool mom that like pulled me out of school to like skate McGill's. Like I would, I wasn't even going to school. Like I was, my mom would be out front and like videotaping a handrail. Like, <laughs> wow. like yeah, like you wow. know, like that's kind of how I I grew up. And then um, I met Maddie Cameron. Okay. In fourth grade, the best surfer that and I've you ever hadn't surfed yet. Ever. Okay. And I met Maddie Cameron in fourth grade. Best surfer I've ever seen surf. His brother uh, Jay and Dennis. They were like my big bros at the time in Seal. And then um. I could skate better than Matt. He could surf. He was like the star surfer already. Yeah. And then uh, I went to the beach, and I was like, "Like this is a trip. Like this guy's already out here. I couldn't even paddle." And he gave me my first Pesh surfboard when I was in fifth grade, going into Your fifth first grade. First board was a Pesh. Yeah. He already had a quiver probably and said, "Here, here's yeah. one of my old boards." Yeah. And I had it. He gave me a little Pesh surfboard. So there I was. Like me and Matt would skate after school. I would do all the things. He was good, a skater too. And then me and Maddie Cameron had a fucking rivalry, dude, that just started. <laughs> like when it came to surf and skate. And yeah. the next thing you know, I had this goofy, wide style, skate style, super young, and was just trying airs. Like, bef- like I didn't even know what a cutback was in surfing. Yeah, okay. And like had this just like full, just gorilla, like wide leg skate style. Yeah. Didn't know anything about surfing or style or anything. What were you? Like, immersed in surfing too, like magazines. No, no not okay. not at that not at that okay. time. This but you was, were already trying to do this. Her. Was fifth grade? Like I was just pumping, and Maddie was like, la- they were laughing at me because of my style. <laughs> but I was out surfing every day, Northside Seal Beach, from fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and then by seventh grade, I did my first little air on a surfboard, and like landed it. And I literally put my skateboard away for 10 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. In seventh grade? In seventh grade, I wow. did like this little popper ollie at County Line where I like, we, Justin Reynolds, pro skater, best friend of mine as well. His mom drove us up and I did like this little ollie and like paused it, world. paused it and watched it and did this like full on little thing. And I was just like. And at that time, who, like, 
Fletcher, you know, Archie Potts, like th- that kind of era. Where those were the guys. The like, only guys that we were seeing doing them at that time was my mom filming us at T Street and Archie out there too, and me go, uh, it's going, you got to get him. And so I have footage of Archie at that time that my mom filmed doing here. just backside method freaking grab, like just so nasty. So your mom would take you and Justin Reynolds and Justin, Maddie, Troy Tecklenburg, Mike Riley. Like Travis Potter, that was our little group since Dude, we were. That was six, a, that's a pretty that's heavy Grom squad right, right there. Like we were, we were like Grom, sixth grade, fifth grade, showering together before school. Like, <laughs> you know, just like going nuts. Yeah, you got like yeah. five minutes to get. <laughs> yeah, to like yeah, that was our. It was called SBLG Seal Beach Local Groms. <laughs> Troy Troy Tecklenburg's goofy foot. Yeah, your goofy foot. Mikey, Mikey, Mikey Travis. Riley, Travis Potter, like yep. Devin Saunders, the, the odd man out on hey, that one. Yeah. I'll split the peak with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Devin Saunders was also in that group, and you know it's fuck man that whole. So group. why did you quit s- skateboarding? Like just because like my all Are you of the like group, obsessive compulsive like fucking addict yeah. to the core. Yeah, dude. yeah. like you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I started surfing and then watching the tapes and then like actually caring and then was like nervous to do contests because like I didn't have like a surf style. I had like a, you know, I was really... So you were doing skate contests up until then. Yeah. And then you go, fuck it, I'm going to start surfing and I'm going to surf contests. Yeah, and then it was just like when it became the lifestyle of like being on Northside when the sun came up in 1992... Or one when Surfline just started, Travis Potter had the first job for Surfline, and Sean Collins used to call the Seal Beach Pier in the morning when the sun cracked, and Travis Potter had to answer the phone and tell him how the waves report. <laughs> so we were there and every day, and then Wells and them said, it's flat, Groms, you ever fucking tell the, that the waves are here, you guys are hung off the pier or whatever. So we were just like, it's flat. <laughs> it's fucking, it, there's no way, there was no waves in Seal Beach on Check Surfline. Wells. With the enforcers, dude, all the enforcers. Hey, Bobby Locker used to do that at the pier. And yeah, said, yeah. yeah. So but how funny is that? Wells yeah. would tell Potter to give shitty reports. Yeah, that, dude, that was just like that whole crew of like Ryan and you know Simmons was the first person I was allowed to like drive with. Like, you know. <laughs> he was like the big bro. Like, yeah. yeah. Did so, you go to McGaw and all that? I went to McGaw. Okay. Yeah, I went to McGaw since you know, and then I uh, I went to. La Salle, and then I dropped out of school in like ninth grade. Okay, before so, in ninth grade? Yeah, I dropped out of school. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit! But, out of- so, but like, okay, so you stop skating. Were your parents like kind of like tripping because here you are on your way, you're sponsored, you're going to these events, you're obviously the best kid winning them all, mm-hmm. coming home to, with trophies. Yeah, to, to just be like, I'm just gonna surf now. It was different, but my mom liked it because, like, you had the culture. Yeah. You had Mikey Riley's mom filming next year on the beach. You had Jan, Troy Tecklenburg's mom. It was this full community. Yeah. So it's like I always had, like, you know, my mom worked too. So I always had a cool little group to go with. And it wasn't inland. I wasn't, like, you know, yeah. skating in the hood and, like, skating with, like, you know, I used to skate with straight Jason Lee would come pick me up and we would skate at Huntington High when it was... Uh, Jason Lee. Jason Lee was, like, my first friend that could take me skating yeah jason lee that became the actor photographer (laughs) yeah like so jason when um they used to have a thing called pay and play and it was yeah yeah, and it was at the huntington beach high in the racquetball court yeah and then so we used to go to that one literally i was fucking sixth grade fifth grade so i used to skate you, you were exposed to a lot of different shit at a young, at age, a young age, very, yeah. very into in depth in culture. Yeah, I love culture, and I've been like seeped into it since I can yeah. remember. 
So it's I've always had an organic rhythm with and things. It's funny because, you know, back then the scene in HB was strong. Like and I didn't really, you know, I'm a I, I, oh. I used to skate when I was a Grom, but when I lived in Huntington in the early 90s, it was all about surfing for me. But fuck, skateboarding was like huge. It was in, huge. In Huntington. There was, there was probably, at any given time growing up, there was a dozen half pipes in people's backyards. Yep. There was long People used to skate Huntington High <clears throat> yeah. all the time. There was lawn tramps everywhere. Gonzalez. Gons is from here. Yeah, or yeah. Not from here, but he was there. Lived here. Staple. Yeah. yeah. And Templeton. Templeton. Yeah. All those guys were like yeah. HB. But there was a heavy BMX scene. There was a heavy like just moto scene, moto scene music. Scene. You know, like there was a lot of like yeah, subcultures yeah. in, in yeah. HB. But but going back to you and hanging out with Jason Lee, um, you you got to experience all kinds of shit and meet all the gnarly good and bad people yeah yeah at the time i didn't really know like you know you're grom i just just like so stoked to see other people like older guys you're you're a handsome man and i'm sure you were like a fucking cute little kid that everybody was like whoa this kid can fucking skate and he's yeah yeah backfired on me in life because I got everything for <laughs> backfired on me in life because I got everything for free handed to me from fucking sixth grade on that's, yeah you got to yeah, spoiled early yeah that's yeah. tough for sure for yeah. you, you know? and yeah at the time but, you don't think about it you like, yeah. you know like I didn't know you didn't have paper skateboards or like you know any yeah. of that stuff for yeah. years so so going back you were surfing you did your first big air you, you hung up the skateboard yeah and then it was just full, full surf that was so it did you quit sponsors too like yeah i just like kind of stopped skating i just like was surfing and that that was it you know and then um started hanging out at harbor r.i.p rich harbor yeah rest in peace rich Rich. uh started hanging out there as a super grom um just hanging and getting a little tortured and i was like the worst surfer abuse grom abuse and you know that was when it was real (laughs) um and i was like the worst surfer because i was new to it and like you know travis and all them already been surfing for years so it was like cool and i was just playing catch up and hanging and yeah you know and um yeah and then i finally like started surfing and getting my rhythm and doing contests um started nssa when i was in the menahunis really yeah and literally didn't you know couldn't even really surf but i was just out there with like the homies yeah you wanted to be part of it yeah in the scene and hang out just there they were going so it was like my friends are going and i was just like okay sign up like yeah going back to your your parents your mom and stuff it's like this is like a culture like you're going to a surf event you're all there on the weekend it's like a good family atmosphere yeah what contest was you doing? NSSA? NSSA, uh, I was good family friends with Dave Sowers. Yeah. So did CBSA for young. I surfed CSA. I yeah. surfed a lot. And then I like got like top like two or three in like all of them. I started doing pretty good and like by like ninth grade, eighth grade. And then... Um, Who's your first surf sponsor? Uh, Split. Oh, well, no, actually it was Harbor. Okay. It was Harbor. And, and that, uh, that your first custom through yeah, Rich? That was, yeah, that was my first custom through Rich. I was I was buying Ryan Simmons boards. My parents are like buying me on my birthday and Christmas all his old boards. Nice. And then Ryan was like one of my like idols too yeah. growing up. Like, oh, you know. And then uh, and then I got my first like Rich Harbor. And then uh, Chaz at that time just started shaping for Rich. And they were coming up with all these like bat tails and all these cool <laughs> things. And it was so then my like mentors at that time that I uh, would sit with would be Charlie and Stamps and then Wells. I used to I used to go to Wells's house. I grew up uh, 
20 houses away from uh, Chad Wells and nice. his and his crew. Like, so that was a house that had rotating at that time, just pff, all the boys were just yeah. there in Seal. That was the scene for Dude, sure. That was the scene. So, yeah. like, I was over there, like, Grom, like, in the room. It's like, get out, Rom. I'm like, 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 I come through the back, I'd be sitting outside, like, dude, just, like, chilling. That was, like, my before school, like, post-up, after school post-up. We talk about, like, the, the surf shop culture, you know, yeah. like, how cool it is to hang and, you know, just to check out all the equipment and the gear and the movies and all yeah, the yeah. ins and outs. But when you got a like a Chad Wells house and I, like a spot where the older guys are maybe just you yeah. know, a handful of guys renting an apartment or a place yeah. <laughs> yeah. and they're hanging out like house parties every weekend. Those Well, it's yeah. like that rite of passage in every little step of your, your life as a Grom. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, here you are, you're a fucking ripping skateboarder and you know, when you, when you are a ripper at something, especially skateboarding, you feel confident and you feel, hey, yeah, I can yeah. fucking hang with anybody and yeah. then and then you get humbled when, you know, Chad Wells says, nah, dude, get the fuck out. You're like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. you're like, wait, I'm, I'm a step above here. Oh, shit. I'm not, you know, like yeah. you have to earn your way again yeah. in a different. They know, were always medium. just looking out for me, though, too. And they knew my dad and my mom and shit. So they like didn't want me to be around. They were partying and stuff at, a, at that time. And I would, they'd always be like, hey, bro, I'm like beat it right now, you know, and stuff. Yeah. But, dude, I didn't even lose my virginity until 18 because Ryan and all those fools were trying to like get me laid from like 14 on. What? And I was like just scared of girls because <laughs> these guys are like, yo, come over. We're going to take it. This girl's. And I'm like, nah. Like, I was just like nervous to be, even be around because I thought like yeah. this was like, yeah, they like wow. psychologically, I was like, no, dude, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, dude. That's, that, I would like be scared. Sure. So, so I was scared to go in that house. When did you first started uh, drinking and smoking and shit like that? Like, so I didn't, you didn't get laid until you were eighteen. I didn't actually smoke. That totally surprises. I me. didn't actually smoke weed or drink till I was eighteen as well. Shut the fuck up. I was a con kid. I wasn't. I wasn't a like one of those. I I was really focused on like sports and I was really focused on drawing and I was really what like sports. Were you into? Just surfing and skating. Okay. Just like, you know, like, yeah. you know, and I was playing baseball, but I didn't like it, but my dad forced me to. So then once he got over that little hump, probably like a lot of kids today, yeah. Yeah. like play baseball. I just want to surf. And then you have the old school dad, like, no, play baseball. And it's like, dude, it's like the same shit these days, dude. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's a it sport. Is. Like, yeah. like, you know, like, don't, don't just look at me like. How did you manage to avoid drugs and alcohol? Yeah. So in, in that group. In our culture, yeah, that's hard to do. Yeah, no, it is right. Like, so, if you really think about it, how many? Like, the only other person I could think of that did that is probably Ben Will. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Of all the people I know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's you can count them on one hand. So, <laughs> so, and this will even I'll take it one step farther. So, my mother started taking me to Grateful Dead shows when I was 16. So my first Grateful Dead show, and then I... Your mom was a deadhead? She took me to dead shows. I won't call her a deadhead, but like she... She, she, she liked the scene. Were you a deadhead? I was a deadhead. <laughs> I was a deadhead. So I dropped out of school at 16, and I did Grateful Dead to her for four years. Fuck off. Wow. I saw over like 180 shows. Okay, okay. Lived Hold in a VW bus. Hold on a second. I, I know you already said it. You dropped out at what age? Like 16-ish. And, and that's what grade? That's ninth grade, like the end of ninth grade summer. Did, did you take a GED test or just fucking straight dropped 
I just straight dropped out. And I got my GED in federal prison like a real psychopath. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. Hold on, hold on. So your mom, yeah. who you're very tight with, yeah. and your dad, who is a fireman slash longshoreman, yeah. who's Mexican, yeah. and your mom's no. half Filipino or full? Uh, half. Half Filipino. Half Filipino, Italian. Uh, they let you, these crazy Catholic people, mm-hmm. let you drop out of school. They didn't let me. <laughs> Who would let? Yeah. They didn't. They didn't let me, but they didn't really. They didn't really stop me because I had problems before that. I so the the truth of the matter is this: I got in a graffiti crew at sixteen while I was surfing, and all the bodyboarders from Long Beach would come and hang under the pier, and me, Travis, and all of us would surf Northside, and all the kids that were under the pier had dreadlocks, had writing all over their boards. And I was kind of like attracted to like these this group of dudes. And I was always like, what the fuck's up with these guys? And I like knew Mikey and I knew all my friends, my little all group of surfers. Crew and yeah, then. and then I'd see like these bodyboard kids and surfer kids are like under the pier and I'd go there and then we'd have to go to school, none of them. So I'd start, I'd wave them north side and I kind of became cool with them. Hmm. And then I'd be like, dude, why don't you guys go to school? You know, why don't you guys do this? Oh, we rode our bike here, dude. We're going here. You want to come to a barbecue? Yo, like, yo, what are you going to do tonight? Get your dick wet. I'm yeah. like, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm going surfing? <laughs> like, and they were eighteen, old, like 16, older, 18. older, but like, yeah. like just a couple years older, but a whole different flow. Yeah, yeah. that's, what, that's this, what, Yeah, Laura always says like between eighteen and fourteen, or it, even fifteen. You know, as we're adults, it's like there's no age gap. But I mean, in the high school realm and puberty, yeah, and, and just experience. you know, so like, these are inner city kids that were hip hop listening to like reggae already knowing what's up with Rastafari all the things that I was kind of looking into and reading about and then so then I like organically started still surfing with my my whole my crew but I just started hanging out on Southside and we surfed Southside most of the year back then the waves were good good a lot yeah so then I was just like kicking it with like this group of kids and then I started doing graffiti and you already were doing art prior to... I was to already it. doing, like, art, and I loved art. So once I learned about graffiti, it became the Obsessive. only fucking thing that mattered to me for 10 years. Wow. And it took me down a fucking rabbit hole of fighting, gang shit, stealing, drugs. It, it, was, a, it was a very, very dark road, but I wouldn't be where I am in my art career today if I didn't learn the tools. Yeah. I always compare it to like graffiti's like kinda like jujitsu. Like you have to like there is a core group and you have to learn all the angles. You can't just get to the top. You have to fight and twist your way and yeah. learn all this alphabetical ha- yeah. street knowledge to get to have the you gotta work to get to the place where people are actually gonna respect so, you. So that's crazy because here you are in suburbia. Yeah. Right? You're With a clean cut of great yeah, dudes and surfing, families. Yeah. Which is a healthy fucking thing. Sure, you know, kids are smoking weed and drinking a little bit. Yeah. You know, but, and then that, those kids intrigued you and you were like, what's that all about? Yeah. I'm going to hang with these guys. Yeah. Now, were your friends like Mikey and the other Travis were like, yeah. what are you doing, dude? Yeah, like, yeah. A lot of they, my, a lot of my friends at that time, it kind of seg, like segregated us. You know, people be like, oh, you kick it with the fucking bodyboarders. You kick it with like the, the dude. You're from Seal. A lot of the older guys would get. I'd be in the water, and like you know, these kids would get barked at by like the Sardelluses, and yeah. like, and I'd be like with them on the beach. And I'm like, dude, like you know, I'm from both, but like these kids come here, like and if and to to be fair, 
the only kids that were on the beach breaking people's cameras at that time and stopping people from surfing Southside were these kids. And I didn't see nobody else hold down seal that lived there except these kids. So at the same time, I was like, okay, you guys can say what you want, but guess what? These motherfuckers are running people out of here. Yeah. Like all day, taking people's cameras, breaking people's windows on cars. Yeah, trying to keep in a lockdown. Yeah. yeah. Straight, <laughs> straight, straight up. Because these kids were like so sleeping. They were trying to Lash keep Latchkey kids that were living under the Seal Beach Pier. And yeah. like fucking like, they lived like, they, they and they're still, that crew is still holds down Seal. No, they're all bodyboarders. And they're all older now, but like that was a very, very gnarly subculture of seal that nobody knows about unless you go. So up these there. guys yeah. that were graffiti artists, yeah, they would enforce like yes. localism. Yes, <laughs> because they because nobody was surfing seal at that time mm-hmm. besides the old school. So yeah. you only yeah. had like the old school guys. There yeah. was no no Huntington guys came. Nobody. It was when Southside broke. I mean, a few people probably. Yeah, but it was not anything. Okay. So like when people came up, it would be bodyboarders. <clears throat> so these bodyboarders would like you know they would stop people, set up cameras at that time. Like people like Mike Black and like homies like that would just literally walk over and just you got five seconds to get that camera off this beach. Or we're gonna break it. <laughs> What a trip! Yeah, like that that's how like and then, dude, and that's you know and um, <laughs> Seal Beach was like that until Chris Waring. Chris Waring got the the VIP access because he's from Seal. Scott Waring was my surf coach. He started filming all his sections there, and then Huntington Beach, and everybody showed up at Seal to film, and then now, now it's over. So it's been over since. So whoever is to blame, it's Chris Waring. It's not. No, it's, it, not, it's not to blame. It, it was it's not to blame, but he. You I'm know, kidding. I'm no, kidding. but he he was he was the first person to really put out lots of content. Yeah. yeah. And 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 freely surf Southside because he's a Southside fucking. That's you know it's yeah. his wave, bro. Yeah. yeah. And when he put that out freely on all the surf channels at that time and, and that that's the transition of it was the exposure of yeah, how easy yeah. you know cameras back then the vhs nobody really you know you would get a photographer you know every once in a while to come down and shoot and try to keep the pier out you know and and do it tastefully and not yeah, expose yeah. the spot and you yeah. could do that but once the video camera came and yeah. then once like social you know media exactly came you are. it was yeah, done yeah, yeah. yeah you know and 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 much respect to chris dude i i love him i watched him grow up watched him surf he, legend yeah. you know and he didn't think about it or he doesn't you know it doesn't it doesn't matter but as time yeah. moved on in social media and the more cameras came and now seal beach breaks and there's okay yeah so that's so, the world now that's the world <laughs> so yeah. going back to you in ninth grade these guys changed your mindset of into graffiti yeah and so you took that graffiti on the grateful dead tour like yeah. hit hit everywhere which yeah. is a, a really different vibe isn't it not really because a lot of the people that lived on grateful dead tour were just drug addicts and people selling dope people selling drugs hippies but had had to get by so you're in taking like like thousands of people to each metropolitan city that has an arena and people are just selling dope, hustling and trying to get as much money and see as many Grateful Dead shows for yeah. days. So it was a perfect place because that's where most of the piecing graffiti yards are by like the LA Coliseum, the Oakland Coliseum, Madison Square Garden, yeah. Pittsburgh, like, you know, so there's a lot of graffiti, a lot of street. And so, so your mom took you to a Deadhead concert at yeah, 16, 16 years old and that blew your mind too. Yeah, because I was so into the Grateful Dead and the lyrics at the time, and I was going through this like kind of like Bob Marley, Grateful Dead, hippie, like you know, my parents are pretty open, and 
It's just something that I like saw and really resonated with, and I liked this culture. I never even smoked weed or anything, you know. Yeah. What I mean, I just liked re- and I started re- reading about the Grateful Dead, and and it was just different for me. And I was at a young age where like I'd never been into. I had been listening to like rap and break dancing and Big Daddy Kane and all this stuff. So I heard this like culture music while this whole thing was going on. It was a lot, of, but it was Bob Marley. Ninety one. Yeah, ninety one, ninety two, ninety three. I mean, there was a definitely a, you know, with hip-hop really coming in full effect grunge, yeah. you know like that era of like music i mean yeah. there was so much I, going when on i but think of the the graffiti world and, and that culture mm-hmm. it's more hip-hop and, and yeah and rap right yeah maybe yeah. some of it's punk rock some of it's reggae like yeah. graffiti is a different thing because what what graffiti is now <clears throat> since it's been commercialized back then it was like everybody, like, and you didn't know. You couldn't tell your mom. You couldn't tell your girlfriend. You, it wasn't cool. Now you're yeah. like a tagger or you do graffiti. People are like, oh, he's a graffiti artist. Back then, dude, they'd be like, you, you ride on shit. You're a scumbag, dude. Yeah. I remember like surfers like finding out. Like I'd be in HB and like yeah. people would be like, dude, like what's up with you, bro? You fucking heard you like ride on shit, you know? Like fucking late, bro. Like you know, like yeah. treating me a certain type of way. And I'd yeah. be like, oh, you just don't understand. You know, but I also at that time I went down a dark little path and I started doing drugs. So that was when I started sliding because at eighteen, like around like eighteen, yeah, yeah. around eighteen, seventeen, eighteen. That I started smoking pot around eight, seventeen, eighteen, and then. So how it happened to me is this: I like to excel at anything I do. I started hanging out with KBH, the crew, which I have freaking tattooed all over my body, and I'm still in this crew, fucking thirty years later. Um, and KBH stands for what? Crushing Babylon. It's just anti-establishment, but it's a somewhat of a spiritual crew because it was about Rastafari and it was about reading the Old Testament. There was a lot of things, and it was a very small crew that was big, famous rappers, artists, and it was a very street crew. But there was motherfuckers getting shot. There was a lot of things. It was a very, very street crew. And that's when my innocent surfer life from Seal Beach turned into this other thing because the way my mind works, like just like I wanted to do airs and compete, I had to be the best graffiti artist in this crew. And they wouldn't let me be because I was fucking, oh, this money, you have a car, motherfucker. You from money. Like these kids had nothing. Yeah. Them. So, so, oh, you, you have to get accepted again. You don't want, you don't want crew. this kid in, dude. You, you, you don't even need to be, you ain't writing with us, bro. You can come kick it. But like, so I was like, so I spent years like on the bench just listening, sitting on 7th and Temple in Long Beach, you know, freestyling. And like, if you couldn't freestyle rap, you couldn't break dance, you couldn't do graffiti, and you couldn't really like get yourself out of a situation. You Fuck. wasn't, you weren't shit. So like, I you went on. step up your game in like so, yeah. all those areas. So that's, so, so cut to me. I cut. Yeah. Cut to me, like, you know, being around Seal, like, hey, what's up? Like, Grom Seal, to now I'm riding the fucking bus in North Long Beach, like, hanging out in front of Polly and Milliken and Wilson and hanging out with all these graffiti kids, you know what I mean? Like, was it wow. turf, was it turf wars back then or just kind of clicky where you, you just wanted to be, like, except, it, you know? It was paint the freeway. Yeah. Paint the 405, paint the 605, paint the 710. Yeah. And, like... Take and us back real quick when, when you, okay, you're on the beach, these dudes are boogie boarders, surfers, dreadlocks, they, they fucking do graffiti. Yeah. And did someone go, hey, we're going to go here yeah. and we're going to paint. Yeah. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. fucking spray paint a bunch of shit. And you're like, I'm an artist. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. That yeah. sounds yeah. cool. Like, so, I'll do that. So how that happened, dude, I, I, 
I painted my little bike and I would ride and check out the waves on Northside every day. That was like my life. Sit by myself and look at Northside and go over to Southside and look at Southside. Sometimes I'd body surf, surf on the boogie. So I'm always on the pier and all these kids are always down there. So I'd always be like looking down and so they'd always be like, what's up? And I wasn't part of their crew. So then I'm always talking to them. So then by the time I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? I'm starting to know their names, but I was never on the sand. Yeah. I was always on the pier on my bike and I'd have Troy with me or something like that. You know, and then finally they're like, dude, come down, dude. So I literally jumped off my bike and jumped down. Boom. And I was like, what's up? And like, I'm like, I don't hang under the Seal Beach Pier. Wow. Like, I live in the sea. I'm not, like, you know. Yeah. And then I started meeting them and realizing that they were, they went to different high schools. They were my age and they all had this writing on their board. So I was like, dude, what does that mean? Like, what? oh, I'm like, oh, I'm rep. Oh, I'm spy. Oh, I'm this. They all had these names. And I'm like. Like, what do you mean you're spy? And these kids had like tattoos already, Crazy. piercings through their face. Like they're all, you know, like I'm, I'm like, everyone has a name. I'm like looking and they're like, yeah, this is, you know, boo. This is it, 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 it. And then I'm, I start realizing, I'm like, okay. And like we paint freeways, but dude, this is low key. You can't tell nobody this shit. Yeah. Like, so I'm always like, so then I'd go home and then I like would do my little things. Like, and then I'd go back to them and be like, like, dude, look what I did. And they'd be like, that shit's toy. I'm like, stay out of there. You know, and just diss me. Yeah. So I'm like, so I'm like, fuck. And they're like, not nice kids. Like, yeah. these are like street kids. Dude. Yeah. So they're not like being like, they're not like, oh yeah, 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 dude. Like, they just kept telling me like, hey, hey, you don't even want to do graffiti, homie. Like, just stay in your lane, bro. You're from Seal, dude. Yeah. You don't need to do this shit. So when they told me that, I was just Wind like, more. I was yeah. like, dude. So then, I'm such a rookie at that age and so young, I went and bought like a little graffiti thing from Savons and then I graffitied on a stop sign and seal, like by the pier. Like and I wrote my real name, Lou. <laughs> Lou ninety one. Oh, I go down to the beach and they're like, Yo, dude, you're gonna go clean that shit off. You're a fucking toy. Like, yeah. don't do that shit around here. Like, you don't you don't do that shit around here. Yeah, like, there's and proper I'm, places to yeah, tag. And like not- and, and they're like, man, so at that point in time, like the head K-Swiss, shout out to K-Swiss, he, they like gr- brought me in and they're like, look, dude, there's like rules to this. Like you can't, if you're going to do it, like you got to come to our meetings at the park in Long Beach and we got to break it down to you how it's done. The shit's organized. Yeah, the shit's organized. So I was like, okay, cool. And then, so I started going to the KBH meetings. It was DE and then they all got arrested and then it turned into KBH in 1990, 91. And then, yeah, that was it. And then I started learning and then... And then it goes widespread, and then you start painting the freeways, and then I got like addicted to that big time. Like I, I hear people get addicted to graffiti, and I I, I don't get it. Like, yeah. what what is the what is the high of it? Is it status? Is it kind of like you know, kind of one and up your like your crew or that other artist? Or I would imagine it would be like golf. Jiu-jitsu, you work so hard, you get beat down so long in the beginning of it that by the time you do have your style and you're confident and strong, you just exude that. And huh. you just want to put that shit everywhere. And you want to tell motherfuckers, yo, dude, this is my name. Because I have skills in graffiti and it took a long time. But by the time I was 21, I was rocking. I had 45 spots, 605. I had all the crews looking at me. I was... I had every crew in Orange County battling people, fighting people, show up at ASR trade show, scrap somebody in the parking lot over letters, then go into the split booth. Like, literally, literally like, wow, wow, wow. I'm baffled by that culture and, like, what the allure is of... Street fame. Yeah. Street, yeah. street fame. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and vanity. It's straight... It's gutter vanity, dude. It's straight up. And then, like, 
you know, and then you just get better and better and better. And then like somebody paints over you, right? You wake up in the morning, you drive through Long Beach, you look at a big rooftop that you just literally jumped bob wire, almost got caught, took two hours to paint this big rooftop. Yeah. You drive by in the morning and then somebody goes over you and like pisses on you. Yeah. And then so and like, then a, you're and like, that's the battle. Yeah. And then that's the battle. But you don't know who this person is physically. So you're fighting with all these people that you don't just, know. You're just keeping it. Just to uh, name You're keeping your, you know, identity like yeah, because secret in a way. No, because no? you're from a crew and all these other crews, Bellflower, Newport Beach. There was crews. There's kids in like, you know, Cota de Casa. There's, they're coming down and painting and it's like this art so there, there was an underground graffiti culture all over the place. All over the place. And it still exists. You can't even drive right down to 405 here on yeah. and not see people's names. And yeah. Those uh, names, those kids are somewhere drawing so, in sketchbooks. So like, tell us about the what the, the do's and don'ts and like where it's acceptable and where it's not. I mean, we know the, the famous spots where you get yeah. the visibility. I mean, that's yeah. obviously the king of the, the crown, you know, spots yeah. along the freeway. With the, but yeah. no businesses... No, no business. No, no business. You know. You know. Some people look at it like this. There's taggers out there that just wanted to face property and get their names up, and they yeah. just, they just tag anything. In our crew, it was about crushing Babylon. It was about painting places that it was taxpayers' money that would paint over it. It was about the freeway walls. It was about the the advertisements on a billboard. Why why can a corporation pay forty thousand dollars to make us look at something every day? I don't want to see that shit. Yeah. So guess what? We're gonna paint over it and we don't care about Pfizer. We don't care whoever's billboards they are, like fuck them. Like and it's taking advertising space back to our culture to really to reserve it. Yeah. And that was it. No painting on houses, no dis dissing private property, don't like you know, like and So tell us about so good. what you said you, you you went on the dead tours for how long? About 1991, 92, 93, 94, like four and a half years. And how do, how do you... How you do followed you, the dead. Followed the dead. That was my life. There's no money in graffiti, so how do you make a living? At that time, we were literally buying mushrooms in Oregon and then selling them. I was already selling drugs at that time. Yeah. Uh, uh, honestly, like we were just... Like I was low and out at that time, you know what I mean? I was in a, in a place, but I was also very like, you know just punk rock like i just didn't care and I, I had you know people around me at that time in seal like i stopped hanging out with all my friends and like i was rolling around with rusty rusty setzer and fucking like you know and just like old school motherfuckers that just were just gnarly and just like let's yeah. do this that so i was like i'd walk into a trader joe's and like fill up a case of beer on dead tour and just walk out the front door and then sell it at the concert <laughs> like yeah. like i was just making money and then once in a while i'd call my parents and be like hey like i need a hotel i don't want to sleep on the in the car and my mom would either be cool or be like dude you're here like like you're already like you know this is what too far you're going too far with this and yeah like, i'd be like but they it, try it, to have like interventions with you and like no you know, like, yeah they did you know and, and it's unfortunate because i got arrested on grateful dead tour multiple times um, I started going to jail um, during all that in Orange County. I started going to jail. I started getting arrested and um, just doing stupid shit. And like, yeah. and, it, and it was all of because I was I was insecure. I didn't handle the way my I was raised. You know, my my father early was a drug addict and an alcoholic. So my first memories are a little bit different. And I didn't I didn't handle that. As a, as a young boy, I didn't handle that. It took me to have to go through a lot of trials and tribulation as a man to psychologically understand why I was lashing out towards myself, yeah. you know what I mean? And why I couldn't have peace. So I was looking for it in the streets and I, I, was, I was needing attention from peers and I was, you know, 
and it took it took years yeah. of abuse and a, and a trials and tribulation to come out of the other side yeah. and understand and because uh, what's a trip like you know starting out with uh, with the story today here you are radical skateboarder sponsored and then radical surfer in in the suburbs of Seal Beach and you took a turn for I'm not gonna say it's a turn for the worse but a turn to where you you needed to have that in your life happen but fuck what a scary turn right yeah yeah. So so. What. What was so crazy and and why the deadful grateful dead for so fucking many years? Like what? I know people do that. I know people get sucked into that. But tell us what you you know your experience. Like why it was so fun. Why you kept doing it. Why you traveled. You traveled across the country with it, right? Yeah. Off and on for four years. Yeah. So like, like, what what was what's fun about that? Living in a living in a, living in a van with two of your best friends, doing lots of psychedelic drugs, listening to music, and then showing up at these Grateful Dead, and then you become like this family. You see kids from all over the place, like, "Yo, what's up? We're here." Everyone has dreadlocks, all dirty. You're all fucking skating. And you're did you going, have dreadlocks? Going, yeah, I did. I, I had I had dread, I had dreadlocks. Um, but it was a lot of man. I can tell you this though. I learned everything. I. I didn't go to high school. I went to Grateful Dead parking lot. Yeah. I learned the American hustle, supply and demand, the barter system. Everything I use in big business now, I learned on Grateful Dead parking lot. Straight up. You know what I mean? Learn how to t- turn two grilled cheeses into five. Take the five grilled cheeses into a, into a six-pack, the six-pack into a case. Buy an eighth of mushrooms. Make, it's just It was a non-stop barter money to try to come up. And then either, you know, I was six, 17, 18, either had a couple grand in my pocket or nothing. So it's like... In, Fucking weird, Like, dude. you know, but also with that, like, there's a lot of older people on Dead Tour from San Francisco, from... You know, in in the actual culture. Yeah. So you're like, I'm young, and I'm I'm reading Timothy Leary, I'm reading Terrence McKenna, I'm like like talking to people that are. It was a whole different culture play. That man, at the very very end of the day, it's the best thing. All of my bad decisions were the best things that ever happened to me because they made me exactly who I am and, yeah. and given me the knowledge that I have for everything I do. So so it's did a, you stop surfing during that time yeah, too? You yeah, did. yeah. I'd come back and surf. And then, uh, and what was your like graffiti like crew when you're like you go to these concerts or you travel, you come yeah. back, you meet up, and you're like, hey, I just saw this crew in Pittsburgh and they got yeah. this style because I mean there wasn't really a way to you know showcase stuff for, you know yeah and that was across, before social media yeah, so you had to so, be everywhere so were you just like coming back and then your your crew's like holy shit like you got to now has your I'm trying to say, is your style changing, changing as yeah. you're yeah. seeing all these other yeah, parts of the country? Yeah, because, you know, you'd roll through New York, you'd roll through Boston, you'd roll through all these spots, and I'd see all this stuff and take pictures and then, like, change my letters or do this. But, you know, we had a crew style and a format, and yeah. then, you know. But it, it was cool. But I got out, and that gave me my first taste of being a gypsy. Yeah. And to be honest, I never stopped that life. Yeah. Never, to this day. Like I have businesses and stuff, but like I'm a I'm a gypsy, bro. I, so, I roll I roll around. So that's like what. What was your first encounter with the police and going to jail? Like, do you remember? Just petty, yeah, petty, petty weed no, and no, shrooms. Yeah, shrooms. Yeah, shrooms. Now I microdose on them, you know. And uh, but and it's the world is changing so rapidly. It's yeah. absolutely incre- incredible. But my first time I was in Surfside, 
I got pulled over in front of Harbor House, <laughs> and I had I was going to Huntington with Justin Reynolds and all my little friends and some girls like, and then like I had like a little shroom that somebody gave me from like a dead show, and it wasn't my, covered. In, no, it was just in my bag, and they're like, hey, the cops, and they search everybody, and I have this little shroom. So then I next you know I'm in jail in Orange County for a mushroom, and I'm like, oh that's weird, that sucks. And then I and then that kind of set me off on like a fucking. That's when it all started, and it just was it started, like, that that irked yeah. That made you anti everything. Yeah, I was like in jail. I was young, and I was for such a petty little like nothing to get thrown in jail. Like that's just. I mean, whether you do drugs or not, like partake, like that is ridiculous. Yeah, you know, especially when especially when they like you know it's not processed. Yeah. They come from the earth at that time. But the laws are changing and things are going to be a lot different. And uh, I'm looking forward to those times just for the youth for today because the more knowledge they get about things yeah. and the less fear is implemented, yeah. then we're going to have generations to come that don't get locked up a few times for some plants that could potentially could, yeah. you know, um, I, paradigm shift them and give them more information to go on to. Yeah, create. not just having like, like keep it in the dark, like, you know, talk about it, give it literature, understand like the do's and don'ts and how much, t- you know, and just having it like communicated to where you don't, yeah. you know, you don't have so, many issues arise. Yeah. So, so that was the first time. Yeah. Mushrooms first time. Uh, then it was, then I went to on Grateful Dead tour again, my first real and this is drug-based stuff, you know what I mean? Because I'm just, like, out of my mind. Like, I'm young. I'm fucking kind of aggressive. I'm in this graffiti crew. Like, I'm, like, anti-establishment. I don't surf anymore. I'm, like, you know, I'm just out in the world. And I'm not... I don't love myself. I think I do, but I don't. Yeah. And I realize that after, you know... And, so you're uh, getting close to 18, 19 years I'm old. At this, yeah, at this time, I'm, like, 19, 20 at this time. Okay. You know, so so maybe even 20 at 20... 20, 21 ish. Um, but I was always 21. I had Sean Ryan's ID. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like 15. Sean Ryan? Yeah. Long hair, looked exactly like it, looked like I was 12. Oh, man. Um, but uh, yeah, so I got an aggravated assault on an undercover officer. At the Grateful Dead at concert. At a Grateful Dead concert. Because I saw my friend getting, I thought he was getting robbed. And it was an undercover Grateful Dead head with a tie-dye shirt on and a, and, a, and a hat with fake dreads. Oh, my God. So I see my friend with a, with a knee on his throat and going through and all his money and drugs. And all I see is this. And I yeah. look at a tie-dye this. So I yeah. hit the guy with a skateboard. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's a freaking cop, an undercover cop. I'm a kid. At that time, I just turned 18. So I'm, next thing you know, I'm like beat up in a paddy wagon and I'm in Allegheny County, Pittsburgh, in the fucking hood, in jail, for days, on days, on days, and it was scary, and it was scary, and um, Pittsburgh, yeah, Pittsburgh. Well, not even just that scary, but like, what? Like, what about the le- legality? Like, do you, you know, do you have to get a lawyer to let you out? What's bail? Do you have to call your parents for bail? I had to like, call my parents for bail. My mom flew out. Like a gangster mom I've always had. Yeah. Um, she flew out. I told her the truth. I hit this guy because I thought he was robbing Wade. And then uh, 
And by the time the court case came out, we flew back out for the court case. And this guy had, luckily he lied and said that, that I hurt him really bad. And he'd taken off like a year off work. And the judge was lucky to me. And I looked like a girl, literally had long hair. I was this big and like 110 pounds. <laughs> He's like, they're like, this guy here, you're 6'3", fucking 240 cop from Pittsburgh. You're saying this dude, like, you caused you all this harm. You took off a year. Like, we just get you out of here. Thrown out. Yeah, okay. you're out of here, dude. Like, yeah. So that one didn't go on my record. Um, but the real, real, real damage to my life happened. I was living in Surfside. I was living. I was renting a house on the beach, A45, right on the okay, hole. Hold on one second. Did you ever have a job? One job my whole life. Shout out to In Flight. <laughs> Shout out to In Flight. You know. Nice. Yeah. So early on, early, early on, like 15, 14 waxing snowboards and snowboarding first started, kicking yeah. it with Scott and Missy just in there, just, you know, just bringing people in, kind of like promoting the shop and just like, you know, I couldn't, I didn't even know how to use the register. I was like, you know, just too like, yeah, I figured it out, but that I worked there for like a year. That was my only, only job. Okay. So, so <laughs> sorry, sorry to cut you off. Oh, it's all good. So you, so you're in Surfside, you're renting a place and how do you pay for these places? At that time, I was selling weed. Okay. Yeah, at that time, I was already on the weed game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd been going up to L.A., meeting people, and then, like, just saw the people that I kind of looked up to down here, like in HB and Newport and shit, that kind of, at that time, not the sur- the head surfers, but people that surfed. And I just saw this little lifestyle. And I was already, like, and at that time, I was surfing still. When I came back, I was, like, surfing, still had sponsors, but that it wasn't split anymore. I was riding for, like, Black Flies and... I was like on flow teams and st- like just like and it was during that time when surfing was caught ca- that time was kind of punk rock and druggy yeah like people didn't care like you know what I mean like I was like they weren't looking for the clean cut like like yeah no like they were like it, I want to say like that was like it was just like a punk rock and like people were just partying and surfing the people that around me were kind of like you know like punk punk music was sublime and just kind of gutter and yeah. long beach surf seal it was like it was yeah. like, who cares if you surf once a month if you're trying airs and you're like, here's fucking clothes or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think I was getting, who I think, yeah, I was riding Dan Taylor's boards. He was giving me boards. Nice. I loved that board, those boards. He was always so cool. Yeah. Um, but then I just stopped surfing. I moved from Surfside. I got addicted to cocaine. That's the game changer. Oh, my gosh. The game changer. Do not sniff cocaine, kids. Yeah. Don't even fuck with it. You know what I mean? Because it is a dead-end street. It's just a dead end street. No way about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know there's some people. How old are you? 20s? At that time, I was young young 20s. So I went, so check this. So I went up, I was dating this model at the time. I went up to fuck, this is how exactly how it happened. It's fucked up. I was dating this model at this time. I go up to LA to see her. I become friends with her, her agent. I go to a casting with her for Urban Outfitters or maybe it was Urban Outfitters or some other brand. Maybe it was like something jean, some big jean thing. I'm skating and my wife beat her out front of this casting. She goes in. This lady comes up to me and is like, hey, like, you're going to go in and slate? And I'm like, slate for what? Dude, I'm a fucking skater. My chick's in there. Like, I'm not tripping. She's like, I think you should come in. I'm like the casting director. Come and take one Polaroid. I'm like, cool. I go in. I'm all sweaty. I hold my board. I take a picture. I go in the car. And then my girlfriend's agent calls her and goes, hey, are you with Lewis? And they, she's like, hey, you booked the something campaign. Shut the fuck yeah, door. Yeah, it's, like, it's like six grand. It's two days, and it's at the house where they filmed Boogie Nights or something like that. What? So I'm like, 
So I tell my girl, I'm like, yo, are you cool? Like, you didn't book it. Like, you cool to do this? I call my mom, and I'm like, mom, like, and I was stoked that I could finally make legal money. I'm like, dude, like, my mom's already bummed. So I'm you're already weed. slaying weed. My mom's already, like, I'm already selling weed. My mom already knows. I have a 10-year-old, 10-year brother that's younger than me. My sister's already going to school. She's in Los Alamos. People are like, yo, let me hit a bit. Can I get to your brother? And my sister, you know, it's been a rough one because I was a big weed dealer. So, like, at that time, weed wasn't cool. Yeah. Yeah. Weed, it was, like, black market, and it was gnarly. And, like, you know, so my sister has to deal with it. Yada, yada, whoop, whoop. I get this job. I'm going legit. Yeah, I'm going legit. So I, I... Work this job, and then I move. I move out of Surfside, and I move up to fucking uh, L.A. Because you got a new gig. I got a new gig, so I'm like, you know, I'm gonna like, and I'm short, dude. But I'm like, I'm gonna try the modeling thing. Dude, people are asking me, and maybe I can do some commercials. Yeah. I go up there. I did get a few jobs, but like, I started meeting a lot of people. The and wrong then people. The, no, the right people, but they were the wrong people. Like my, my <laughs> but like, yeah. like, like my first, my first girlfriend was Nicole Lenz. She was Playmate of the Year. She was living with Paris Hilton, so I moved in with those two what? at that time. So when I, when I was you twenty, when I was yeah, Paris Hilton, yeah, like she was like, and they, and they would like make out. So they were kind of like lovers, and this is like when they're eighteen, and I'm like 24, 23. Like so, my whole LA was just straight kissed in to the the, the, the the most VIP of VIP ever. So that's how it happened for me, and I was straight into wherever I wanted to go, and it's been like that. Guilty by association, right here. And I had never I, done drugs. Did, did, did we just hear what we just heard? Hilton. No, 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 no. He was skateboarding <laughs> outside, sweaty, fucking. His girlfriend's trying to get a casted and the lady sees him skateboarding outside and come inside and fucking gets the job without even trying yeah that's what happened and then then you go up to LA I'm shy because I'm from Seal I don't know a lot of people so I I got access to this place called Las Palmas it was the only place in LA Hef had a table every week it was only Leo and like 200 of the most VIPs I'd go there every Wednesday how did you so your girlfriend at the time was Nicole she wasn't my girlfriend yet okay um, I uh, I got in there through one of my homies uh, Carlos uh, from Dada Shoes I don't know if you remember Dada Shoes I, I remember yeah yeah so so he introduced me to the door lady I'd have to sit out front for like two hours until she just like mean mugged me like go in so I went in there's all kinds of girls there I meet Nicole Lenz I'm so shy and then she, then she was with Paris, and they were best friends. They lived right up the street, so I started going to their house after parties, and then I just started crashing there. And then, so then they became like my best, my best friends for years. And then Paris helped me out a lot, dude. She did my clothing line on the Simple Life. She wore all my stuff. She hosted my first art show when I got out of prison. She's done a lot. She's like, you know, wow. she stuck, what she, the fuck? She stuck her neck out for me a bunch of times as as homies. But you know, she, her and I partied, and she's. She's she's pretty gnarly. Paris is Aquarius like me, and she's 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 party. Well, yeah, but she's she's gangster, dude. Paris is a G. She's yeah. a businesswoman, and whatever she plays on TV is like it's not really like yeah. what, what she it's is. It's for sure. It, it, she's a whole different monster. Yeah. but she's cool as fuck. Okay, that is I, incredible. I'm like tripping out on. So so to, okay. to just move out to LA and try to get a, a, a modeling or see if modeling or acting is it gonna happen, and mm-hmm. you get freaking infiltrated into like the, the, the scene the scene yeah and this that help you I, you know you were saying how you had to wait two hours to go to a club right? yeah like, no more after that yeah like no it, more after that we were the club keys to the pearly 
not pearly gates. Yeah, no, they the were keys, open. The gates were open for for loot. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. So now I didn't even come back down here ever. I didn't care about surfing, and I started doing cocaine. So my life for like five years was to go to every VIP club that was crazy and just snort coke with celebrities. And I was what literally were you doing for work, just hustling weed. But nobody up there smoked weed. They all did coke. So I did the natural progression of a drug addict, and I started selling coke. Which I'm not proud of at all. And it took me into federal prison. So, because of the way my mind works, I'm an entrepreneur and a hustler, but I just didn't have the right goals. Yeah. I had the wrong product. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, and were you tagging? Don't, don't get high, high on your own supply. Yeah. Too late. Too late. <laughs> too, and too, too late. I mean, what's, what's your little, you know, Long Beach, like Seal Beach click, your, your, your you know, your... Um, your graffiti crew. Yeah. And now yeah. you're now you're connected up there. Are they like they're they're coming up? They're, they're my, coming up. like the close ones to me are coming up. I'm like, yo, I can get you into this club, and then we're up there. You know, we're up there, and like we're in like hoodies, boom, and hoodies, and dress different. You know, and then um, I got full access, and it was awesome. And I and I would go everywhere I met. Then my I became best friends with uh, Brandon Davis, who was a degenerate. I love him. To de- we don't talk anymore. But his his father was Mar- uh, grandfather was Marvin Davis. He was the oil tycoon that opened Miramax and owned the Beverly Hills Hotel. Dang. So we could go to like. Master, we could go to anywhere and just eat for free. I remember when I had no money, like, and he wanted drugs, we would just go to like Gucci because he had a tab all on Rodeo. So I would just give him drugs, and I'd go in, get my Gucci's, and get a shirt. And he would just trade because his family had had his all of Beverly Hills. He just had accounts. Yeah, he'd go in anywhere. So like, dad, dad would pay it off. Yeah, his yeah. Grand, it was all in his grandfather's thing. And so we were like, I was like twenty three, like in Spago every day, like eating like six hundred dollar meals on a dollar in my pocket with like the richest kids in Beverly Hills. And I so that fucked me up because that gave me entitlement issues. Yeah. And as you're snorting cocaine and like. You know, I was handsome, I was young, I had girls. So I always had the girls, I had the drugs, I had like the surf and skate locked up down here. And then from that culture, they don't know surf skate. Because even in Malibu, Malibu still kind of, they have dog town and stuff. But like, you know, when you go up there and you're from down here and you're like, oh, this dude's a surfer skater. Like the girls and everybody's, oh, you surf skate? And like everyone up there surfs. Like yeah. even, even today, I live in the Hollywood Hills. You, everybody You can meet anybody. Yeah. Like, oh, you surf? What do you surf? Yeah, we like, got tons of friends that yeah. get $1,000 an hour for lessons, you know, getting yeah. lessons all these yeah. people. Yeah, and then, and then you go, you literally go drive with them and they like, you know, they can't surf. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and that's the one thing we're so blessed to have is actual, like the, the, the actual skill set of actually being able to ride yeah. waves in, a, so, in an aggressive way. So... <laughs> You, you you were just smoking weed, drinking, partying, shrooms, whatever, and you're hanging out with mm-hmm. those celebrities. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the natural progression was to sell cocaine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did you, like, not to glamorize it and go deep into it, but were you, like, buying a kilo and fucking chopping it up and weighing it and selling it like that? Like Yeah, so... So, yeah, you want me to be 100% raw, right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I was getting kilos brought into me, um, chopping them up, and then putting them on girls and having girls sell the Coke for me when at the club, the model, other model girls that needed money. Didn't feel anything at the time about it, and was just, that's what it was. Yeah. And uh, started making good money and, like, and selling Coke to all the celebrities. And then I start, and then I got really fucked up though. You know, I started smoking crack. I started, I started smoking, <sighs> I started smoking freebase. 
because my nose wouldn't work after years of abuse, you know? I was really lonely. I was really fucked up. I had all these famous friends. One night I'd be, you know, at the Chateau Marmont snorting coke with Colin Farrell and drinking whiskey for three fucking nights in his suite. Next, th- th- next night I'm fucking at another celebrities. I was just literally with celebrities. I was, I was in, in touch. I mean, all these magazines with these people leaving restaurants at the time. Like, I was a very socialite. I was known as, like, a socialite. I had a clothing line that everyone was wearing at the time that I was doing graffiti on, and I got into, like, Maxfields. I got into Hold fucking on. Saks Fifth what, Avenue. What was it called? When did you start it? And, like, like, what the fuck? So I started a company called Clothes Horse with a Japanese investor that had a bunch of shops in Shibuya. They asked me to tag on some shit. Already going up to Hollywood, I oh, felt in... Like, who, like who, tees and hoodies? And how did he find Streetwear. What happened? Well, I was already doing it. So I got... So, so going up to LA, I didn't feel right. You know what I mean? So Everyone's dressing your own. So like, I, I would I would like put on like a pink button up, and then I would like stencil it or tag it before it had ever been done. Ever, nobody was doing it. I was stenciling blazers. I was making all my own shit. I'm at the Grammy party. I'm with this celebrity. Boom! Everyone goes, "What is that? What is it?" And I'd like, "Oh, I just make it myself." Finally, enough people asked, and then I created a line. I walked into Fred Siegel. They bought the whole line. And then I was off. Yeah. And I was on my way. And then I opened Fashion Week with Davis Factor. I was in, I had 30 accounts in Tokyo. I had 40 accounts here. My parents gave me the money. It was fucking, it was all over, dude. It was making money. While you were selling cocaine. While I was selling, trying to sell cocaine, but I was the worst coke dealer ever. Because I was snorting it all and giving it all away to girls. Um, Miserable, miserable coke. Okay, I'm I'm sorry to laugh, but it's, 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 you're, you're blowing, you, you just keep constantly. Like this is so interesting, and the the way I could see how it's happening. Like yeah. I could, I'm visualizing it you. Like a fucking movie that happened. It is, and like the way you're connected, it just seems natural. Like, yeah, like just who you are. Like I'm not gonna just wear a fucking button up. I'm gonna yeah. fucking I'm gonna style it my own. And in, in the evolution you, of you created the line with like a line sheet or just like, <laughs> like a line every, everything dude it got so what I did is I knew that because all the celebrities were asking for it and at that time beauty buffets were big so like gifting suites it just popped so and I knew all the main gifting suite people in Hollywood still do and then they would rent the chateau rent this thing and then the brands would pay 50 G's to like show a little glasses or whatever and they would only bring in celebrities and my friends and they were all my friends yeah. so you'd like literally gifting suites the highest end gifting suites so I would have a booth for free at all of them because the girls that were doing it I like would kick it at their house give them drugs give drugs them gifting s- suites yeah so then I would just give out free to all celebrities bring in racks of all hand painted shit that I would buy at the Goodwill and then stencil and put punk studs rip them light them on fire blah 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 Next thing you know, it's everywhere, and I had the I had the most famous clothing line in six months. What was it called? Clothes Horse. And if you Google it, you can see a runway show of all celebrities: Aaron Paul, every celebrity rocked my Clothes runway. Clothes Horse. K L O Z Horse. And, and how'd you come up with that name? It was already a name that uh, somebody came to me and was like an investor, and they're like, "We have this brand locked down. It's called Clothes Horse. We have accounts in Tokyo. Do you want to be our partner?" You have creative freedom. We're going to fund everything. And dude, I was like young, drug addict. Like I was like, cool, yeah. And they had a, they had a, they would, they did um, vintage shipping out of Torrent. So they would vintage ship. So they just supplied me with all the vintage for free. I know how longer how to do it. They did my cut and sews. We did a booth at Magic. We did a booth at ASR. Or that's when ASR went to pool or something like that. 
And, and what were your aspirations at this time? Just like, do we like? I mean, nailed it. Like, I, yeah. Did you say like, oh, I'm gonna. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm gonna do. Like, well, I had that last a couple of years, but I had no idea the capabilities of it. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I was a drug addict. I thought like I was like getting checks, and we're like in Maxfields, we're in Madison, we're in Fred Siegel, we're in Saks, we're in Barney's. The we're, highest end of the and highest. My, end. my blazers were fourteen hundred dollars, sitting next to Libertine. Like wow. I had the windows of all of the sounds like one of a kind pieces, right? Yeah, they're like one of a kind. So Fred Siegel, the same thing, and I have no idea what it could be. Puff Daddy literally jacked me, and I talked about that before. But he literally went through and bought all of my blazers from Fred Siegel. They call me, they're like, "Hey, Puffy came in and bought all your blazers." I'm like, "Yeah." Two months later, Sean John has the jeans with the stencils all over them. Are you I'm like, fucking kidding nah, me? And, and then that was like my first heartbreak of P. like... P. Diddy? P. Diddy jacked P. me. P. Diddy ripped, ripped you straight off? Up. Yeah, straight oh. up. Yeah, but it's all good. It's yeah. all good. I got... Uh, yeah, it's all good. And I mean, <laughs> what you're making probably some really good money like from this... Yeah, party. but... Yeah, but I, I didn't care and I owed my parents money because like we couldn't afford it. Yeah. Like Saks Fifth Avenue does a thirty thousand dollar order. Yeah, like I'm, I'm calling that. my mom, going, dude, I have a PO. Like, dude, I don't know what to do. My mom knows I'm a drug addict. Yeah, I'm what like, about the clothes horse dudes? At that time, they kind of were like iffy because I wasn't showing up. I I went to a trade show in Japan and got super fucked up on downers and went home with some chick from a strip club and missed like two days <laughs> of the trade show. <laughs> Like, I was a proper degenerate drug addict. Yeah. Uh, there was no controlling me. There was, like, I came... Like, man, this is... Yeah, like, not, I not came, a good business partner. Yeah, I came... I came and I went. Like, the the big fight we got, the big fist fight that happened in, in San Diego between two big graffiti crews at ASR was right in front of them. Like, five on five, like, walking in with, like, our stuff. Like, you know... Oh, and, my god! And, and we were, like... You know, it was a graffiti company. We were in there, like, graffiti, that's what's up. We paint freeways. We'll, we, it was... It was... I was on a spiral, spiral downhill. And... Uh, god, you had such opportunities, right? Yeah. If, they're, if they're... Yeah, and I, I always have. And they've and they always been blessings. And I've always just been, like... I've always felt like I've just been innovative when it came to like culture and like what I've done. It, it just always came naturally. So whatever I was selling, it was never a sell. Yeah. It was just like what what I was doing and the people around me. So, um, so then yeah. So then cocaine. And then crack. I, you know yeah. I started smoking it. Got addicted to it. I needed more cocaine. I went to Arizona, met up with some paisas at the border. Got fronted ten kilos by fucking some gangsters from cartel. Set up the engineering. Back. You had a name for yourself. They knew who you were. They could, tra- you know, like yeah. it was. Like, yeah. This motherfucker lives with that. Yeah. yeah. Paris so Hilton. He knows people. No, yeah. but like, it's like, they don't know about that. They just, you know what I mean? They, 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 these people want to get rid of their drugs. Yeah. And I did yeah. something so, so stupid. When I look back, I'm like, I could have died. I could have lost my life. Dude, easy, yeah. easy. I took, I took like $200,000 worth of cocaine from some paisas that were like, it was straw in their mouth and hats, just little, little paisas that were gnarly. All good, all love. Took them to New York, transported them all the way to New York, flew the cat, flew my profit back home. Their, their guys that were following us with like straps on and shit, got pulled over in Texas, lost all the money. I get a phone call from the gangsters in, in Arizona saying, hey homie, you got to come back to the farm. I had wait, to call one of my... Can you go back... So wait, you went to New York and sold it? Sold sold the 10 kilos. Okay. And then you were driving back? No, and then I, because I had to give the the Pisces, the 
the money. The they money, got their money. They got their money and okay, they good. drove back, but their money car got pulled over in Texas. Were and you they there? Got, no, no, no. I flew back with all of my profit. Okay. So plane. you were, so that wasn't Scott, your please. that wasn't your fault that they that got pulled over. No, no, but you were associated I was Scott I was scot free at that time and then my buddy who introduced me to them, not gonna say his name, but he's a very, very powerful head cannabis guy now. Uh, with one of the biggest companies, God bless. Um, and he's a fucking G too. He saved my ass and he said, hey, and then he said, hey, Louie, when the Pisces call you, bro, like, you come, dude. And I love you, but like, you come. You gotta come. And I was at, I was at my parents in Seal and I was just so nervous. So I jumped a flight, went on to the farm there, to their ranch, and I just said, look, like, you know, that was my one deal. I do weed, like, this isn't it. And they were like, hey, homie, like, you got rid of 10 kilos, dude. Like, you, you got to do it again. Our money got caught. And this is like an old Pisa telling me this. And I'm like, well, dude, I... So I just said, hey, I'll give you my contact. But I can't... I don't sell coke, dude. Yeah. This is... I'm way out of my comfort zone here. Mm -hmm. I realized, like, I was way over my... Because I was, like, shaking, yeah. like, these... I can only imagine. Like, you know? <clears throat> and, I, and I just said, I'm way over my comfort zone. So I gave them my contact. I walked out. Never talk to them again. Wow. My contact and them merged. They sold kilo, They sold cocaine to an undercover FBI agent a year and a half later. And then they all wore wires on me. And I went to prison for the introduction. What? It's, yeah, it's called conspiracy in federal court. A year and a half later. So yeah. they ratted you out. For the introduction of the th three people in federal courts, there's three of us here. If if we conspire a plan, us three right now. If yeah. two of you guys went and went to the things and said, "Hey, we did this," and but there's another guy. Yeah. There's another guy to lessen their sentence. Yes, to lessen their sentence. So they tried to get me for 10 kilos, which is 14 years, 10 to 14 years in federal prison. That was my first standing in front of the judge. And um, what what this what state what district? New York. New York. New York. So hold on, hold on. Go back. You fucking give your contact. They merged. You're a year out. and a half later. Someone calls you. The cops call you. No. So how how that worked was they they started doing what they were doing. I didn't ask any questions. So there was two guys. Uh, one of the kids, one of the kids that he went to prison for a while. He went to Brown. That's the kid. He was like in Brown, the college, and his mother was the prosecutor of L.A. So he was very money kid, Got spoiled. It. He wanted the drugs. That's who I literally. He's like, I'm in college. Yeah, he, he I, I sold them. Yeah, yeah, he, no he, he, he did that. And I didn't know mandatory minimums. I didn't know anything about drugs. Literally, like ignorant, young drug addict. Like it's like yeah. you look back now and you're like, oh my gosh, like fuck, that's it's insane. So then they get busted, right? But RJ, the, oh, whatever, yeah, the kid that that is my friend. All of he had owed me money and he wasn't paying me. And then all of a sudden, a year later, a year and a half later, this kid starts calling me and he's just talking super weird, like, "Hey, I'm gonna be in LA, dude. I'll give you that money I owe you." And I'm wow. like, and I'm like, so this is actually not happening. It's like a fucking movie. How? How? Yeah. So you didn't know what was going on? No, no. But they're trying to pretty they're, much trap trap you. They're trapping you. Yeah, yeah, at this time. So so then all of a sudden. I'm on MDMA, I'm on ecstasy at the Standard Hotel at this party, and next thing you know, this guy's standing in front of my face. And I'm like, and he says, hey, dude, I'm, 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 I'm in town. I got that money. And he's like yelling at me in a nightclub. I got that money you, I owe you. And I'm like, 
no, dude, like, you don't owe me any money, man. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but it's good to see you. Yeah. Like, it's been a long time, man. How's your family? Like, what's going on? Like, you, you just throw kind of picked up on it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. On ecstasy. He goes, to the, <laughs> he goes to the bathroom, and then he comes out, and I'm wearing, like, this shirt, and he just puts a fucking a napkin in my pocket. Just, and he bounces. I'm so insecure and scared that I don't even read it. I go to my homegirl, Molly, who, uh, I was living with at the time. She just had a movie come out on her Molly's uh, card game, Molly uh, Molly's game. Nice. So I was um, I was uh, <laughs> I was living with I was living with her, and uh, so you didn't look at the note. Right I didn't look there. at the note. I went to sleep in the. Mo- I went to sleep, drank a handle of alcohol, and ate my Xanax, and did all the drug addict, disgusting things that I was doing at the time because I had no enlightenment or love for myself. And then I looked in the morning, and it just said. Um, I'm so sorry, brother. And that morning, the FBI pulled over my mother, who was driving my brother to La Salle. And says, where's your kid? And thinks my brother is me. And two FBI agents pull over my mom driving up fucking Seal Beach Boulevard with my little brother, dude. Oh, wow. So now I got the FBI, which had been sitting in front of my parents' house in fucking Seal Beach. They think I'm some huge coke kingpin. You know, when they got the FBI, like, following your moves, like, they think I'm connected to these Mexican car- big guys, yeah, and yeah. they think that I'm some, f- like, yeah. distributor, some how, big... How fucking Dude. stupid is the FBI to think that in the first place, and number two, to be tailing your mom, and not knowing that your little brother is not fucking Lou Carrion, the kingpin... That they think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's, that's you know, and then um, a lot of pain came from that day, those days, that, that time. It all started then, you know. It was, yeah. a, it was a culmination of bad, uh, bad decisions and drugs and, uh, you know, lack of, lack of love. And when you start doing drugs and you get addicted to drugs, you know, you, you, you don't love yourself. So your family and everything that you should love and your rooted essence, it's all gone. You know, so I, I was making bad, bad decisions. And um, yeah, so that's, that's how it, that's how the end started. Yeah. You know, that's how it was. So then my mom called me and said, hi, like, hi, you've got been indicted by the FBI. They just pulled us over and you need to turn yourself in. So... As a drug addict, like insecure, already shaking, banging up for days. Get the fuck out of here! Like, you know, I, you know, I have a fucking gangster dad. My dad's a fucking G. He's solid as a rock, and he's a tough, tough man. Yeah. And somebody I've always looked up to, and uh, I knew that day was gonna come. And my dad always told me, "You sell dope, you you do street shit. When the time comes, I don't want to fucking hear about it. You man up." Wow. So I went down so to the... you've had conversations with your dad about this yeah. life and yeah. what he thought about it and what, yeah. you know, when shit hits the fan, you better fucking man up. Yeah, everybody gets everybody gets caught eventually, and if you do stupid shit, you know you got to man up. And so I just heard my dad saying that, and I went down and turned myself into the FBI in Orange County. Had some young FBI agent that looked like a freaking, like a, like he surfed, <laughs> like... Just try to tell me that I can Was work. Is it Utah? Like, dude, look, <laughs> Johnny, Utah. Oh, yeah. He's like, yo, I'm Johnny Utah. I was like, right. 
But it looked like very similar to Young, and so then he told me that I can work for them. That was my first option. Oh my you can God. work for us. You're in Hollywood. You're already embedded in it, culture. Ooh. Like, like work for I us. Form you, it. Yeah, you can go right back on the street. You can go right back on the street. And I'm just like, hey, that's not an option for me, dude. Like, that's, oh. not, that's not who I am. What a fucking Because shit. I'm ready to man up. There's a lot of other pussies out there that are going to take that, that route, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. So, so um, yeah, so we had to uh, get lawyers and um we had to lawyer up and fight this case so i fought the case for a year and a half how expensive was that it was a lot of money it was a lot of money and um because the kid's mom was a prosecutor in la yeah so he automatically turned and ratted like when they got him he was already i'm wearing a wire on you you're done so the other guy didn't wear a wire and then there was another third person and then, you know, in, in federal cases, they, they say they have this discovery, and my life was full of shade. So I didn't know what was true or not. The federal, you know, the, the federal prosecutors could say, oh, we, we know you did this and that and that. I was so fucked up for years. I was like, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Like, I don't know. Wow. You know? So we fought it for a year, and the very end plea, the very last day that I walked into court, uh, Mark Heller, my judge, who had, like, was from New York, and I got him through a very... like an affluent family like lace me with him like and then um he just said like look we're really close to winning this because they don't have a lot of discovery on you except two people if you were my son i would take whatever plea bargain they gave you today because if you go up there and they have something that you don't remember you're getting a 10-year mandatory minimum i walked out and I was such a drug addict. I had been like snorting Oxycontin that morning, like just to even deal with it. My last year of pretrial almost died. I wanted to die. I was trying to overdose as many times as I could because and I, I didn't die. I, I'm surprised I didn't die. I was just like, I didn't want to go to prison. I was fucking scared. Every court, every two months, me flying to New York, doing as much downers as I can to numb myself because the boy, the child in me was just scared and broken. Holy smokes. So then you got 10 years potentially, 14 years. That's the language you're hearing and you're 25, six, you know, it's like you, your whole life is flashing. I should have done this. I should have done that. Yeah. You're just broken. I was fat, had a fucking huge fat face from fucking vodka, like just degen, full degen. Go in there and then they tell me, plea bargain to one kilo of cocaine and you'll get 36 months and you'll get um if you do the drug psych like the drug class yeah. you'll get a year off that and it'll come out to around two two and a half years so i say okay you want me to plea bargain to a kilo of cocaine which i didn't do because i never got caught with one kilo yeah. i never got caught with any kilos so i pretty much went to prison for something that i didn't get caught for yeah and that was it and it was uh it was thank a, god though thank god yeah thank god i mean thank god. A, nobody wants to hear that like a sentence like that regardless but when they're throwing 10 to 14 years bro you that's did. a life game changer yeah and i did and i did do it you did do it yeah and i never talked about it before yeah ever especially on a thing <laughs> yeah. but the 10 year mandatory 10 year statute of limitations is up so yeah this is my first and, drop and, with you guys <laughs> but bro and it's <laughs> the gnarliest thing i've one of the gnarliest stories I've ever heard in my life yeah. of you got away the first time 10, yeah. 10 kilos. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And guilty by association. You're like, nah, I'm never doing this again. And, and those guys lost profit and said, no, you're doing it again. And you're like, no, 
here, this is this is it. This is my yeah. I'll give you my guy. I'm out. You're out. Because my guy wanted to make money too. He wanted me to do it again. The Mexican, I don't know, I'm saying Mexican, but that's what they're called. Like the perfect marriage. Yeah, Yeah. perfect marriage. I get to walk. Yeah. And then I was like reevaluating everything, and I was like, dude, this is fucked up. I need help. Yeah. I actually like over, almost overdosed, and had my mom and dad come and get me. I was gonna check into a rehab here in Newport Beach at that time, and I was just really fucked up. Like I didn't really find a lot of value in life. I didn't have God in my heart. Um, Then I went to prison. And then in prison, what, it was... What, what, sorry, uh, New York? Or I, back I, here? You were able to transfer? Yeah, I was sent back here, and I had to like live at one de- destination, so I pretended to live at my parents' house. That was the address. And then um, and then I had to go to uh, prison in uh, Vegas. I started in, uh, in Vegas, which was super easy because... The, you know, it was it wasn't super easy, but it was it is what it is. From what you what when you when you were probably thinking it was gonna be, dude. Like, yeah, like okay. so I had it like it was so weird. You get a phone call and they're like, hey, you gotta be in prison tomorrow, and you're just like, oh my god, tomorrow it starts. You know what I mean? Like I oh, gotta be in prison tomorrow. So I was like surfing Northside with Troy and just like and had a little like going away party in Seal. I was all like fat and gross, doing a bunch of drugs and like got there, got picked up and checked into prison and went in, in Arizona in uh Vegas. in Vegas in Vegas. In Vegas, and it was a, you know, it wasn't a That's hard... That's Nevada, people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for linen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so then... Um, so it what was, was that... Okay, you... Like, for those, many of us, like, getting picked up and checked in, like, just walk... Not, you don't have to go great detail, but, like, walk us through, like, did you think you're in general? Did you have a, a roommate? Did, you know, did you, you know, like, what what's the setup? So... The setup would be like so. Th- this was a like a, a low facility. Yeah. So it and it's white collar and it's federal. It's federal white collar. Yeah. There's uh, it's, so it's like a, it's like a college campus with a fence around it for criminals. So there you don't have like rapists. Sim- si- yeah, but sim- similar like um prosecution like uh drug, drug high end high end drug deal money money real estate yeah, all just, the all the all the guys that thought they were smart yeah. So uh, a lot of that. Uh, that was my first um, four months. Yeah. And that was, it was pretty gnarly. Like I got in a couple little, you know, like a little fight. I got like, you know, I had to like really, you know, I was entitled fucking like surf, skate, seal, pretty boy, rat. Like yeah. fucking like, like, you know, whatever, man, and then squawk all the time. Like, you know, and then you I just rub somebody wrong inside. Dude, and then, you know, you just go to prison. You realize you ain't shit. You yeah, like, shit. Like, you ain't shit. I don't care how tough you are on the street, how your ego is, what crew you're from, what this. You are not shit in prison. And that's the best thing about it. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I was like, like scared. And I'm Mexican. But I don't rock like a Mexican. Yeah. I don't, when I go in there, like, I'm not like a Sereño. Like, so it was hard for me to like, you know, because the, I don't speak Spanish. So like, it's either like, you have to like pick like who you, what race you're with. And to me, I was like, dude, this is hard because I kick it with everybody on yeah. the street, you know? Yeah. So in this particular um, scenario, I kind of just was by myself and I hung out. I started going to church in prison and I started just like kind of creeping by the weight pile and just like kind of looking at different groups of guys and being like, oh, maybe, maybe somebody will like bring me in, you know? Like, did you like, yeah, keep, I'm sorry, keep telling yeah. this story. I'm just like, did, did, did you get fucking beat up at all or? Yeah, I got in a nice, nice little, couple of nice little scraps and realized that, you know, that 
but they happen so fast in prison because like there's guards and stuff like that and yeah. there's full ways like if you get knuckle checked like, you have to go check your knuckles if you have these things you're going to the hole so people don't really want to fight in the lows because if you get your points up in the low they send you to the high and anybody on a white collar crime is trying to like chill yeah. in like where the place and like, i was in a pretty nice prison for the first <laughs> for the first four months and then pretty and, nice prison but then it got dark dude i signed up for this drug class right and now in hindsight... Which was part of the deal. was part of the deal. Yeah. And in hindsight, I'm like, okay, get out of prison a year early, right? So I sign up. Next thing you know, they're like, okay, but the prison, after I sign, the prison is in Alabama. What? Okay, so I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? So next thing you know, I'm fucking shackled on Con Air, okay? I'm on Con Air with... Con Air is gnarly. Con Air is every prisoner from all over the place and you stop at prisons airports to pick up like the gnarliest guys pick up drop off it's the gnarliest place. guys in the world killers rapists fucking bank this the gnar people i don't i'm not trying to fucking sit next to talk to or like fuck with you yeah. know what i mean so now i'm on this con air flight and i'm just like going like i would rather stay there an extra year dude like yeah. where am i did going they, did they say oh alabama's it's gonna they, they you know prophesize like hey it's gonna be gnarly like you know like or just- no but but because this is the thing so how in, long were you at Nevada? Four months. Four months. Okay. And then four to six months. And then you fly Con Air to these federal holding facilities. When you're in these federal holding facilities, that's where all the animals go before they get shipped out to their destination. And there's no... It is just animals stacked 10, 12 stories of, and open cells of the gnarliest people you'll ever fucking meet in your life. So that's where you'll get beat up. That's where you'll get fucked with. That's where you were. I didn't leave my cell for days upon days. I wouldn't even eat on Thursdays. Can you imagine like knowing it's Thursday and you just don't eat because uh, you see people getting beat up for chicken? <laughs> Holy like, shit. Yeah. Like that, that was my life. Like me trying to sit down with my tray and them just going, okay, next place. And you just have shot callers telling you you can't sit places. Yeah. And it's either you, like, fight all of them and, what, you're going to gain respect and get stabbed. I don't – so it was – How long were you there? Dude, I was there for fucking three months. The first one. The first one. The first federal prison holding facility? Then I had to fly Con Air again to Atlanta. That one was even worse. But that one you were locked down 23 hours a day with six people in a four-fucking-man cell. So you're shitting and pissing – somebody sleeping on a cot on the floor and like i i watched tv out of a little window that was six stories down in a fucking like this big for like months you and were it, locked down for 23 three, hours a day and that that's With the six other people yeah and that's the prison where like all the people from the cuban in the 70s or 60s that's where they put all the cuban refugees and like it's just, it's called like castle something it's a gnarly federal prison in atlanta and what were you were you able to get like books and materials and art any, any yeah. paper in, in these places no, or you or got like, pencils you got pencils this big so you couldn't stab people and these little pieces of paper so i got them and i drew like a i i put them all together no i just asked everybody in my cell can i just draw on this wall and i drew this big like dragon and it came down and then the head of the toilet was the head like you know <laughs> yeah and i wrote like really did that the, 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 having that skill set and stuff did that help like yeah create relationships people, and smooth things like, over like you, hey yeah. dude i appreciate that and yeah you, you know because yeah it always helps when you have some sort of different skill set or something to offer dude, my yeah my life is so fucking crazy. pretty face and a freaking <laughs> yeah my life is so crazy like i watched my ex I, like this is real this shit really happened to me. i watched my ex-girlfriend have a baby 
from another dude and name it the name that I was going to name a baby with her when we were together sure. on a reality show while I'm sitting in prison and I couldn't even talk to people because they just wouldn't believe me. Like, oh, that's my ex. And da, 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 da. That's, oh, that's supposed to be my baby. Oh, I'm like, bitch, you named it. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, wow. you know, I watched Limp Biscuit win the Grammys and all of my clothing from fuck went in prison and like sat there in the music room like, Oh, they're wearing... Oh, dude, like, I can't say Are anything. you kidding me? Yeah, like, I can't, Wait, like... who was the reality girl? It, her name is Tiffany Lynn. She had a baby with some guy named Ashley. Uh, he was in a band called O-Town. I, was, I dated her for four years before I, I went in. And then it just, like... So, like, my life was, like, very... I had this whole life going on that I didn't even realize that I built in Hollywood with, yeah. like, the... It was, it was still going, and you, you were well removed. <laughs> yeah. I haven't talked about this in years. I know. I haven't talked I mean, about this in years. Not and, like not like this. This yeah. is this is interesting. I'm kind well, of like going through all and, the yeah, feelings. And, I mean, and so, I mean, it's probably good to get off your chest and then be able to like talk about it. I hope. And, it, I mean, I hope. Yeah, it's, no, it feels uh, good. Therapeutic. Yeah, you know? yeah, it is. It's it is so gnarly be, for because we're us. you know we're in the dark periods, but I mean we're we're gonna get to we're like still getting to the good part. Yeah, and you have plenty of good that's coming out of yeah. it. That's that's the journey and the okay. story that we're so at. Atlanta. Then where? Then to Alabama? Then Atlanta, gnarly, gnarly, gnarly. That was really dark. I I, I prayed on that one, and like I still go there in my head sometimes when I ever feel down in the in, sure. the in the world we're living in now. You know, I just put myself back looking down this thing, and I'm always like, okay, just shut up. Yeah, like, whatever's happening now. Like, yeah. So then I went to Alabama. Alabama was a low facility camp where it was like you know, there was a it was a it was like a little college with you know barbed wire. But it's 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 Alabama. It's it's all black, a little bit of white, some Hawaiians, very few Mexicans, and it's you know it is what it is. But they had a music room. I've been doing like hip hop for years, so I just freestyle. I was in there freestyling, and all the races can mix in the music room. So it's like you're like you're like on the yard, and you can't even like see somebody. You know what I mean? You see, you're like the black homie that you rap with. But he could he could be cool with you in the yard. You, mean, you can't even talk to him like on the in the yard, and you're like, "What's up?" And then they kind of like that, and then you get in the music room. What's up? Let's do write a song. Da, da, da. So freaking weird, dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then but everybody's uh, just trying to survive, and that's a way to yeah. Know, yeah. And, and then uh, I did tattoos that last year. I was just drawing tattoos, like doing my graffiti, and then selling them for like honey buns and Coca Colas, and then somebody would like. Tattoo him. So there was so like you're, you're, you. You started your sobriety in, in prison, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did break it though after, um, but uh, because I had to. But uh, yeah, so it was interesting seeing my Long Beach graffiti on like a huge white guy that I didn't even know. It says like Alabama on his back that somebody did in my my street letters. So like people, you know, I was selling like my graffiti writing to like the tattoo guy and he was putting the tattoos on people it was pretty cool you know so then i trained dude i learned about my body i learned like prison's kind of cool like that you can you know there's a lot of smart people so it's like i linked up with like the hope the the health coach some dude like you know that knows everything so i'm like circuit training with the health people i'm like taking little real estate classes at night from the guy who like laundered fucking 50 million dollars and moved around like there's all kinds of really creative people in there and yeah. so you can and they all teach these like underground black market classes you know you can you know for this money I'll, I'll take you and you meet them in the library and then you go over like finance or with pretty g's dude like yeah. regardless of a prison or not there's a lot yeah. of smart people in there and you so, got your ged said got my ged in alabama like a like a, a proper ged proper ged okay it was the saddest thing ever somebody should literally make a movie out of it it was amazing bro it was like a like a ghetto like prison church 
with like f- like 50 of those just you know those like metal cheap chairs and then literally like a couple criminals dude in their things with their little hat and like four old grandmas like in the thing they're like throw you can throw your thing everyone's like throws it and it's just like a tassel <laughs> yeah dude it was i was literally like at that time it was just comical i'm like yeah. this is a fucking this is a movie dude yeah like, this, like, is, this is how you graduate like, in this, prison. yeah this is hilarious but at that time real quick i'm already back to me I found love in prison. I woke up one day and lost all of the drug and that person that felt sorry for himself and didn't like felt this. Alive and and back I, to- yeah, I just woke up one day in prison and was just woke up and just was like bottom bunk and I sat up and I was just like, I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm fucking happy. Like, I'm back to being happy. Wow. Like, this is stoked. And then I went to the dude that was doing all the things. I'm like, look, hey, bro, look this and that. I just need you to train me. Like, I couldn't even do like five pull-ups. Cut to six months later, I'm doing weighted, rocking sprints, weighted sprints. We're doing boxing in the music room at night with pads. What do you you think? What was the pivot? Like what? Just, just getting all of the the funk out of you. You know what I mean? Like a lifetime of drugs and 10 years of abuse and then real, and then feeling sorry for yourself and running all the scenarios. I could have done this. I could have done that. And I'm a survivor. I'm going to turn this around. Like I'm a survivor and like, and I just know my spirit that you're bettering yourself spiritually, uh, educationally, physically, that was turning those endorphins and the feel good, you know, feel good, whatever. Yeah chemicals in your mind that yeah. turn things around for you yeah and and were you able to like send out emails talk on the phone to like friends parents like how often and no email no emails um i didn't want to get kicked out of that prison and go to a worse prison but i did i did buy like a hot little jack phone in there and then like so like went in with like five other guys and then like they, there's somebody like shoves a phone up their ass or however they do it and then you buy the little phone and then like you take turns so like one day a week like they'd all like like sit out and watch and then you'd pull up in behind like the handball court and be like yo what up to call the homies real quick yo what the wow yeah there's a ton of like inside oh yeah and if I wanted to use you could motherfuckers are drunk every night smoking speed in the bathroom I got there at first when I got to prison I was like thinking like I'm in prison I can finally get healthy and I get there and everyone's doing drugs I'm like fuck wow and then dude and my change happened like this I bought because I was a drug addict I bought some um, some booze made of like however they make it the hooch I bought my little cup I went to the softball game and I was sitting there like first weekend I'm like drinking and getting drunk and then the CO walks by and he just stops and just looks at me. And I'm just holding this hooch and I'm just like drinking it and just watching the game. And in that time in my heart, God literally just filled me full of wisdom and said, you are a loser. You're drinking in prison. Like you yeah. have serious fucking problems, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, this yeah. is it. If you're drinking in prison, you are number one loser of life. And I literally just was like, went to my cell, cried and was like, you're drinking in prison. Like you have fucking issues, dude. Yeah. You're yeah. buying you're buying drugs off cancer patients. Like I was buying like, you know, they take cheat their medicine and then I'm like eating their fucking Percocets. Like like and then from that was day at the beginning? Yeah, that yeah. was in the beginning. And then that day forward, I went completely sober and uh rocked uh rocked 9 years of sobriety after the uh the 2 years I got out. And then Epic. I, and then was sober for a long time. Incredible. And, uh, yeah. So, so tell us about uh, the day getting out. Like 
The day getting out, I was. Did they give you a timeline like yeah. you're getting out? Like, hey, on February twelfth, yeah. you're out. Yeah, whatever you're out. the freaking date. That's yeah, you're out. Counting down. Yeah, you're out. And then um, it was uh, it was cool. My mom and dad came to swoop me up. You know, I was all fucking jacked up. My dad's like, damn fool. Like, you're big. <laughs> went, went into SEAL and met all my friends. I was like, hey, bro, you can't walk around like that, dude. Like, you got to lose some fucking weight, bro. Like, you got... Because <laughs> you got roids? Yeah, dude. I was diesel. I weigh like 155 now. I was like, but you weren't dude. doing anything. It was just physical. Yeah, I weighed 180. Like, I had just knots and just... And they, because inside, everyone's big, so you always feel small. Yeah. Like, you yeah. always feel like you look at like people and you're like, dude, I need to get... Well, all you can do is work out. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, they're you know read and work out is what yeah. you do. I was laying out. I I created some prison trends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. You were bronzing. I was bronzing. <laughs> I yeah. was bronzing. I started laying out in in, in Alabama. <laughs> Alabama's hot and humid. Yeah. I would like go on Saturdays, take my baby oil, take my towel. Shut lay, up, dude. I, I put it on everything, dude. <laughs> I I would go lay out and just listen to my headphones and just lay out like the beach and just chill. And next thing you know, people are walking on the track looking at me like, this guy's crazy. Next thing Lou, you know, what you doing, Lou? Next thing you know, this motherfucker over here, this and 40 people laying out, getting sun. <laughs> but, I mean, to, to remove yourself from where you're at and be able to listen to music and you had a little bit more freedom in the Alabama yeah. spot, it seems like. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you just drift off and be like, I'm on the beach somewhere, tropical yeah. killer. Watch the planes, just can't wait. <laughs> Watching planes go over, just going, I can't wait to be on a plane. Okay, oh so you God. get out. You get back to Seal Beach. Mm-hmm. You're, you're all roided, not roided, but you're all fucking puffed up. Yeah. Then what happened? Like back to surfing. What, what were you thinking your, before you before you got out? What were you thinking you were gonna do? Surf. Awesome. That's all I wanted to do was surf. That's How awesome. soon can I get to the water? How fast can I get to the fucking ocean, dude? Well, that like, was it. Right. Like, like, well, I, I couldn't ride my old boards, man. They're not gonna freaking float me. Mom, yeah. make sure I got a board when I get home. Yeah. Yeah, Justin Reynolds, right when I landed, gave me an insight from uh, uh, the dude that had insight at the time. The clothing line handed me this like fat fish and uh, South. Bless you, Justin Reynolds. Yeah, and Southside Southside was breaking, and I remember like, and I was strong. So like, I had I within two weeks I was surfing better than I'd ever surfed in my life, literally because my legs and I just like I remember watching the videos on Northside and I was like doing carves like I had never carved in my life. Wow. Because I had time to think about it, you know, and I had time to like understand like, and I just wanted to ride waves again. And you probably mentally <clears throat> surfed so many thousands of surf sessions while yeah. you're like yeah. in prison. What, what were you thinking you were gonna do when you got out? I know uh, surf, but yeah, like, no, but I, I didn't know, but I knew that I had options to do whatever I wanted because I had been like kissed into every industry and I'm a people person and I had tons of relationships. So if I wanted to do anything, I had offers to be, you know, you want to work for Sotheby's, you want to do this, you go, you want to sling houses, you want to sling clothes, you want to, whatever I wanted, it was on. So I had been Were trying. You scared about drifting back into drugs too? No, not, no at all. not at all. Not at all. Because I was, I was a little angry. I did have a chip on my shoulder, like a prison institutional little chip on my shoulder um because you do have to stay hard in prison you can't show emotion you don't hear your name for years you don't get hugs you don't talk to people and you do it's very alpha male dominant Mm. so you always have to keep this very very respect factor like i couldn't like if we were sitting here i couldn't like ask for something i care if there's something right here i wanted to have to look at you and be like and then like knock and be like cool i'm gonna reach for it and look you right in your eyes like that's just the way it is you walk behind somebody it's hey i'm on your right you it's very very respect so like you, it, it kind of shapes you into a different kind of militant mm. way. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So when I got out, I was like, 
So the so when I got out, the 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 parole system, it's worse than prison. These people are so fucked up. Like they're so fucked up. Okay. So I had a I had a little Filipina parole officer here in Orange County that hated me. Hated me. So like I couldn't win. She's saying from so at the halfway house she'd come. I'd be like, so I'm gonna get a ride. You're an entitled drug addict. We can Google you. We know what you're gonna get back into. You're not like the rest of these people. You're an entitled drug addict and you can't have a car. You're gonna take the bus and you're gonna work at Starbucks. Wow. We're gonna pick your job for you. We're gonna take the da da da. And I'm just like, you know, because they give you a list of job hunting. So, and me, I'm, I'm like free now. So I'm like, check this out. Lady. I'm going to go work at in-flight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> check this out, lady. I'm going to get whatever job I want. So like now I, I do, maybe I have to hire another lawyer. Like, because I'm not working at Starbucks. That's your problem. You know, because you're entitled. And I'm like, no, it's not entitlement. It's I have, I built my life for other options. And in doing me that, it's not doing me a service. You're going to be creating hostility. Le- legally, the... Are they in charge of what you... They can be. They, and they say that, but they're not. Okay. So I had to create my own job really fast within a week. So I call my friends in Hollywood and I say, hey, dude, I need to be some kind of janitor, something fucking low. So this lady thinks I'm like like moving shit, cleaning toilets. That's She'll be happy. So I have the owner of one of the biggest clubs in LA call her and say, hey, I need a late night janitor to pick up throw up and shit in our clubs from this and this. I got the right she, guy for you. She calls me and she says, yeah, I talked to this guy. That's, that you're going to be perfect for that, but don't make sure you're just not there when there's people and there's alcohol. And this, you're, this new guy, you know, he's a really big guy. And I created it all. I told, yeah. him, told him exactly what to say. <laughs> so next thing you know, and then so then I become a nightclub promoter. So now I'm working for the club, but bringing girls for money, not cleaning toilets. Yeah, obviously. I, right. But so now I'm right back in the scene of Hollywood, straight into it, straight sober, right into the mix, bringing celebrities and famous girls and models to nightclubs for a hundred dollars a night. Like my, within the first week, first month, what? first first two months, three months. I'm right back in it. Are you scared about falling back? No, because I just loved myself again. I just was okay. just loving myself. I was like, "Fuck drugs." I, I, how, how scary is that? Right? Like, oh shit, I'm gonna be I'm, right. I'm gonna see the same people. But, but this is the world that, but tore me down. It did. But I was strong. I was stronger That's than all so of rad. them. I was stronger than all of them. They couldn't physically do anything to me, and they couldn't mentally fucking be anything. I just went through the fucking boot camp of all boot camps. Like this, but, did you move but to go through this again in a in a clear in head a because yeah. you were blinded by all the drugs before. Now you're seeing like what it, you know. You've been around yeah. drunk people and people yeah. on drugs. Well, now and you're, you're sober. You're like advantage of it. Dude, so for a positive way. Yeah, so you know? yeah, so long story short, I watched that like ever the owners of these clubs pull up in their fancy cars. I'd already been a socialite. I was already in the club for 5 years straight. So now I'm in there, I'm start bringing all the people to the clubs. Cut to a year later, I'm like the biggest one of the biggest what? promoters at that club and the owners are like like damn, like because everyone, dude. Imagine, what year did sorry to interrupt, but what year did you go to prison? At this time, two years, two and a half years later, you get out, and then now you're back in the mix. Like I twenty eight, twenty seven is when my my case hit. Went to prison like twenty nine and got out at like thirty one. Wow, damn. Did drugs for my twenties. Didn't go to school. Partied all twenties so till I went to prison. Got out at thirty one. Okay, I'm, I'm forty four, and I've only done what I've done in the last you know time since then okay so you know so then you're 31 years old you're 
club club promoter. promoter. So when when you I I don't really know what a I mean I know what a club promoter the title, mm-hmm. but it, like your job duties as a club promoter is just bringing fucking people in. For you're coolest, yeah, people you yeah, you get the, paid with the biggest wallets. <laughs> no, you been like like at that time I was just getting a little. I didn't know what it was either. Yeah, and so I just did it because that was my job. And then I would leave the club at like two thirty, and then call the check into the the federal number, and then you have to drive to Compton to drug test like two or three days a week, and it was this whole shit show. But anyway, so you had to do follow up. Oh, dude, check Oh, that's so bad with the feds. Dude, you, they call you and your phone rings all zeros, and then they'll literally be like, "Officer, somebody two fourteen, uh, walk to your nearest payphone," and you'll be literally with your mom, with your girlfriend, where the fuck you are. You got to walk to the nearest payphone, just wait, and then you got a car pull up and people with fucking vests on, and they'll just come up to you and talk to you, make sure you're there, maybe make you go pee in a bottle or whatever. It's like serious. Fucking a. Yeah. So how long? How long did that last? That lasted. A, uh, it was supposed to last about two years, um, but my life once again something absolutely crazy happened. That's a movie worthy, and I got out of it super early, um, and it was just nuts. You you you, you walked the straight line. And, I walked. And no, I walked the straight line yeah. until my parole officer happened to be dating. Somebody I went to high school with and told her, told them my whole story, which is illegal. Wow. So I had this dude send me all of their conversations and my file, pictures of my file at their apartment. I put a bunch of evidence together. I walked in her office and I just deboed her and said, bam. (laughs) You want to get fired or you want to go now? She cried. (laughs) She cried and told me not to tell her people and i said i'm not a scumbag like you think i am yeah but there's gonna be no more of this whole harassing me and i'm gonna get off federal probation as soon as you let me i'm not here to press you but you broke the rules yeah i'm that's that i'm doing are you kidding me right (laughs) this needs to be are you this needs to be a movie right now have you this filipino bitchy lady yeah miss galvadores I hope you're listening. I hope you're some of your family surfs. She, she, she dated your friend. Yeah, Josh because, Hansen. A cr- this crazy kid from school. And then he hits I know me Josh up. Hansen? And then he hits me up and he's like, dude, I'm dating your parole officer and we're breaking up and she's a psychopath. She told me all about your case. I have your case at the house. All this stuff. And I'm like, well, you, can you send me photos? Can you send me all this information? Because she probably only opened up because he, he, knew, he knew you. And he's like, oh, this guy? And yeah, look at his rap. Because he probably dude. had on too. And so then I got off. And then she just, dude, I got the letter to my mom's house like two months later. dude. Like She goes, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. But I can do is not talk to you again until the letter comes. And I can try to get the letter of your uh, release supervision off. Dude, God smiled upon you. Yeah. And he said, you know what? This kid is... I always knew I, I always knew God. I always knew God and I always ran from him because he used to give me so much light. I was always scared of failure because I had so many options and so many things going on that I was just scared to fail. So that's why I went down the drug at it because it's, it's easier to be a loser, you know, and just yeah. not care. Yeah. yeah. When you're, when Walking you're... a straight line is harder than being crooked. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. then with the club shit... Literally, with the club stuff, I was a promoter, and then I just was like decided like I can do this. I bring half of their club. Next thing you know, I'm like I'm like telling the owner like, dude, you got to give me a raise, or I'm gonna like leave and be your competition. So then I'm like, okay, cool. I go to another club, 
Cut to, I raise a bunch of money, I open my own club, I have one of the best clubs in LA, and then I get like bought out by the biggest club group in LA, and then I become the owner of Hwood Group, and we had Bootsy Bellows, Delilah, Nice Guy, uh, and then so, so now they're all clubs. They're all the top clubs and restaurants in Hollywood. Now I'm an owner of all of them on an amazing salary, and I'm like the international club guru. I'm doing pop-ups in Monaco. I'm doing Mexico City. I'm traveling around with the richest people opening nightclubs. That was my job, and the art was just percolating, but nobody wanted to buy the art because I was nightclub Lewis. Yeah. So like you don't want to buy art from the guy that's like putting 12 models on your boat in Saint-Tropez. Yeah. You just don't. Like that's the job. You don't. You don't. It's like yeah. I'm nightclub Lewis and I told myself when financially they met at one point, which was three years ago, I would walk away from nightlife forever. So hold on a second. So you quickly become a leading nightclub promoter and investors came and said hey we want you to fucking and here's sweat equity yeah like you're gonna be partners yeah. with us yes. your name's on this yeah. title your name's in the yes. lease your name's yeah. on I created it I created and, this whole job and there's serious money in this business yeah like yeah like, like because we all been to those clubs and bottle you're service you're talking figures. three four five hundred dollars a bottle for yeah. every table and it's on no, like twelve hundred dollars a but, bottle but yeah I mean you're making a six figure salary yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm making $1,500 a night just to walk in six nights a week, like to start, like I'm getting like, you know, I'm getting like a $300,000 like starting salary, like, and I'm owning and I'm getting back end money too. You can share profit, profit and, sharing. At 32, 33 now. Yeah, I'm 32, two, two years out of jail. Yeah, two or three years out of jail. And, I'm and you're to, sober. And I'm sober. And then I got, you know, I and then this is what happened. You know, the ego and in life, you know. I, I After this, now for the first time, dude, I have money. I have a house in the hills. I'm driving my S-Class. I think I don't have problems anymore. So I'm you, the guy. You bought a house in the hills. I leased a house okay. in the hills. And uh, I, you know, I was I was doing the show. You know, I'm the nightclub guru, yeah. leather jacket. I'm I'm in I'm all over the world at this time. I'm like I'm I'm the marketing director of Hwood, which is the the only group that mattered. Yeah. So I would do their pop up shows. I would rent the rent the partner with the facility in Cannes. Fly you the celebrities, finding the DJs and like. No, I didn't do yeah. that. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't do that. I stayed off the music side. My, I curated the VIPs and okay. I curated our international pop ups so we could have a, be a global force. Yeah. Because a lot of our money was coming in globally. So and with so, that, so when you said you curated, you you just create curated the VIPs that attracted everybody else. Yeah. So I would. I, yeah. So like my my job would be okay. Monaco Grand Prix coming up. Find the biggest yacht down there. Somebody I knew that owned the yacht, or we would rent the yacht or whatever. And then we would get the DJ, put him on the yacht, pull up front row at the Monaco Grand Prix. I'd fly celebrities, fly models from all over town, rent houses all in Monaco, and I'd have the best party that everyone talked about for the Monaco Grand Prix. And it would be H Wood, Bootsy Bellows, and all of our properties throwing this. So when you came to LA and you had money, like there was only one place, yeah. a few places you were going to go. And it so was all these like satellite global things happening, funneled. Yes. Celebrities yes. and VIPs and rich people yes. to LA yeah. to these properties yes. here. Yes. So okay. then like, you know, Coachella, we'd, we'd rent a 40 acre property and bring fly in, you know, like flying in. Oh, and I had all the DJs, you know, for dead, for like my birthday, like Dead Mouse came in and played for free with his hat on. Like, you know, you know every Crazy. one of the DJs. Yeah, I had access to everybody, every DJ, every celebrity. That's just like what I did for, that was my job. But here you are. 
art, you know, like, you know, is your passion. You're trying to like focus that while you're doing this, yeah. this job. Yeah, but I started doing, I took my graffiti and I started painting murals legally, but all around Hollywood, all around New York, all around, anywhere I went. Going I would, to like, buildings and say, yes. hey, I want to paint the yeah, side of your Yeah, because I knew all the restaurant owners this time. So I'm like, hey, dude, I know you're going through construction. You have a huge build going on. Let, yeah. me, let me paint a mural. Cool, Lewis, no problem. Shout out to John Sofio, one of the best architects and designers. Like he, he really helped me in LA because he had all kinds of uh, restaurants going up, hotels, and he just gave me all the fronts of them so that like, you couldn't drive. Legal through canvas. It. Yeah, legal canvas that looked illegal because it was on the front of everything, so you couldn't really drive through LA or West Hollywood without seeing my shit everywhere for like a couple years. Wow. So it was so the business in the business started moving. Yeah. You know, uh, I never and you know I never really sold that many paintings. Yeah, and then uh. I was nightlife guru. I, it's all I cared about. How many models were in town? What celebrities there? And what? And how many big people from you know were spending money? Yeah. And that was it. That was my job. But I let that ego really get to me because that position, that position is a gnarly position. That position gives you a global access to walk into anywhere in the world, hotel, club, whatever, and an owner of every property will walk you down and fucking shake your hand and walk you in. And just that alone, on an international level. It's the ultimate juice card. And with that comes lots of girls, ego. It just, it's, a, it's a slimy, slimy slope, you yeah. know, because there's a lot of just things. And then... Um, temptation. Temptation. And then I relapsed. Mm. And then I relapsed. Wow. Uh, uh, I thought, you know, I got a little bit of success. I had some money. And I went to throw a party in Ibiza. And we, uh, I was on my friend's... From Dubai's huge freaking yacht. Mega yacht. Yeah, like a mega yacht. And we flew all these girls in from Russia. And I woke up completely happy, sober. And I went up to the top deck. And there was like four Russian girls. And I was just sitting there. And they, they were passing out mimosas and MDMA. And this, this girl came up to me and just went like this. Mimosa with an MDMA. And I literally just like looked at the boat. Looked around. Looked at the jet ski. And just and just made a bad decision. Just said, doop, doop, jumped on the jet ski. And I had, and then I just partied for like seven days straight in Ibiza and came home. And then I uh, a really fast slip straight down. Went from yeah, not showing up at my club, almost getting fired, uh, not talking, not talking to my parents again. How not, long did it last? It, that lasted about three months. Wow, three months. And then I woke up, and then my little brother, you know, he he came up and started bartending. He was a bartender at Tsunamis. So when I got bigger in the club thing, I was just like, dude, come roll, up here, roll, roll up, it. be the head bartender. So my brother was like running the show with all the bartenders and stuff. And then he was, and then uh, he moved in with me. And then uh, the pain of lying to him because I didn't want him to see that again because we're ten years apart, and he was in the car when my fucking parents got pulled over by the FBI. Yeah, like I just didn't want to, and it, it hurt me. And it hurt me, and I and I remember I just woke up one morning and just with blood all over my pillow from like whatever I was snorting. That was it, and I've been sober uh, seven and a half years. Epic. Since since then, and he better no, fucking keep it that way, bro. Yeah, yeah, no, no, there was all just self-induced. No, no step program or anything. You just no, I just choose love. And I, yeah. cho- I choose me, but I, you know, I to to aa people i i will have to say that like i don't drink drinking is my downfall mm. i support sobriety yeah. i do use cannabis yeah and i support plant medicine yeah 
I will not do low frequency drugs, cocaine, all the drugs that kill people and hurt people. Yeah. But in the person that I am and everything that I've learned and the culmination of who I am, I will use gummies to sleep. I will do tincture drops if I'm having anxiety or I'm stressed and I can't sleep or I'm yeah. on a plane. Medicinal. You know, yeah. I use plant medicine and I am a plant medicine advocate on certain time, certain types. And uh, it works for me personally, but yeah. I can't speak for everybody else. Yeah, for sure, it just yeah. it just works for me. So you know, you gotta so, do you. So, but some people are very like, oh, the guy said he's sober, but he like will do weed drops, loser. Like yeah. that's the culture we're living in, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, it's so, the same thing it, when you talk about people that are vegan or or you know like. Do you not do eggs or milk products, or do you just do vegetable, or be, you know, like there's different variations, and it's like yeah. what, what works for you. Whatever makes you happy, yeah. fucking do it, and not you know, hurt. Whatever keeps you on the path that that doesn't hurt you happen. or others, that doesn't hurt you or others, fucking do it. Right? Yeah. So yeah. that's all we can do. So right? you did it. You, you you quit cold turkey pretty much by yourself then, right? Yeah. Well, I never <clears throat> prison made me strong. Well, but it made me quit drugs. Yeah. So I got sober in prison. So I never really chose to got sober. I did, but I kind of didn't have a choice yeah. in yeah. a way. So like, I just needed to get sober on my own, and I needed to learn that like that yeah. I was a, a alcoholic again on my own, and it didn't matter about money or or whatever. How long was that until the day on the boat from when you started promoting? Like two years or three like three years? or four, three or four years? Yeah. Three or four years. I mean, I'm surprised you lasted that long. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. The, the lifestyle you're leading, the people that you're hanging that, out with, like. Yeah, the I mean, temptation the last, and accessibility is is yeah. is you, you come out sober and it's not like hey I you know I got a family and a, and a nine to five job and I'm this like you're back into the mix. I'm back into the mix, you know, and uh, but it was it was just different because I yeah. had something that everyone wanted. I had strength. I had clarity. I had God. I had sobriety. Like, I was the leader in the club. Everyone would get wasted, and every single person at the club at one point or another at their wasted point just look at me and just be like, oh, I wish I was sober. Like, <laughs> like, dude, you're doing so good. Like, like everybody, like, how do I how do I get what you have? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, you know. So then I got people drunk literally for 10 years. And then so my job would be at, like, 9.30, I'd go to Nice Guy and get all the free food and have the modeling agency send me 10, 15 models, feed all the models, have the black cars pull up, put the girls in the car, take them to my club, Put him at the club, text whatever big celebrity, have Leonardo whatever come down, boom, put him at the table. That little job's done. He's the DNA of my nightclub. Leo's in there with 16 models. Cool, my job done. Maybe go to an after party at his house or somebody else's house. And that was it. And I did that for a long, long time. Crazy. And I made a lot of money doing it. So, yeah. you know, and, and it was very surreal. But I felt blessed because, like, you know what I mean? I got my genie in prison. So I'm like, you paying me this, bro. Like, I'll stay sober. I'll invite models. I'll do whatever the fuck. Yeah. I'll stand up on the fucking table to house music with a bottle of champagne <laughs> for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. from where I come from. Yeah. Like, dude, like that, you know, my only other option was, like, being a longshoreman. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, you know, I went down there for a couple. Like, my dad got me that job. I had that option. And I went down there. And I was kind of out of place, you know. And like I'm a little right when you first got out all yoked out no before like before before I didn't trying to trying to sway you to like grow up be responsible get a real job and yeah so So how how long did gypsy over here how long did you do that for couple months couple months my dad gave me a casual card when I turned 18 to go down there all my parents are like like since that port started my last name down there is a major name so when I went down there it was like it was cool but like you know I just felt like my dad and my grandfather 
were such G's down there that I didn't want to like it just felt it was stressful for me because I'm not like them yeah. and like you know your dad can fucking climb down this fucking 800 foot ladder to the bottom of the hole and pick up the cold one hand and fucking climb I'm like I'm like dude like that's cool bro yeah. but like that's not like, me like your grandfather was he was the best this and that like every, he, they're such strong guys and yeah. I'm, I'm like down there like in like like all this yeah. things are moving around cranes I'm just like yo this is stress so, so fast forward you're you're huge success big time club promoter you, you you get on the right path again how long do you do that for the club promotion i did that for 10 years so the last four years was awesome up until two years two and a half three years ago um i just got as high as i could for like financially like there's there's le- there's levels and there's limits and um like my partners just opened delilah in vegas that would have been my restaurant i would have had a piece of that but i would have to be in vegas right now you know, I worked in Vegas with uh, Jason Strauss, who owns a lot of big things in Vegas. I worked, I, you know. Um, so I just, I knew that my spirit, the person that I am going into, pretty much I turned 40 and I was like, there's no fucking way I can be in nightclubs with 21-year-old girls anymore. Yeah. I just can't. Like, I don't have the energy. I'm over it. It was like I was playing this acting role to be that guy. Yeah. Dude, I'm a fucking surfer from Seal Beach, bro. At the end of the day, dude, I'm a surfer from Seal <laughs> Beach, dude. So, like, so, like, I couldn't wear the hat anymore, dude. Yeah. I was like... I was like, I can't. So you're, you know, you're, you're based in LA. I mean, you're close to surf regardless, you know. When you start jet-setting around the world to some of these other locations, are you like, fuck, I'm bringing a board. I'm going to try to fucking... Or is it just straight work in and out? No, I'm, I'm surfing. Yeah. I'm surfing. Like, I lived in South Africa for off and on for four years with, by one of my clients that I met in out of the clubs. Yeah. And I told my partners at the clubs, like, I took off, like, from three months every year, and I, I moved to South Africa. And one of my best friends, he built, like, this... Thirty million dollar mansion in South Africa, and I met him through the nightclubs. He wanted to travel, so I traveled with him, and we traveled the whole world. And that was my job. I worked for him with his black card and put, rented him boats and rented him houses from Brazil to everywhere, Mykonos. We just traveled and we went to all the best spots. And he had sold his company, and he's just rich, you know, and he, he needs yeah, need somebody I, to help organize. Yeah, his so fun. I was like, I was like his host, and he became my best friend. So I would surf out there. That's where I got actually met Jordy and met all this. The, uh, uh, you know, through that, I met uh, Logie through yeah. that, those guys, and you know, me and Travis are pretty good friends now. Epic. And, what a trip. and uh, yeah, and so, like, but I, at the core, at the end of the day, like, you know, surfing is surfing, and when yeah. you're traveling the world, if somebody says, like, I'd always get somewhere, and the first thing I do is, like, what are the waves like? They'd be like, what are the waves like? Yeah, I yeah. want to surf. Who has a board if I couldn't take my board to Brazil or wherever? And you know, and then I can surf a little bit, so it's like you know, then like you meet like the core guys. Oh, you can surf, dude! Yeah. Like, I got a board for you, dude. Let's yeah. go. I'm gonna take you to the real wave, and it's like, so yeah, I I surf. Definitely gives you clout when you're you're showing around, and and having being a surfer is not like, hey, is there a tennis court or a golf course or you know, like because there's a lot of other activities that people are yeah. passionate about and go, but like surfing's OG, and like it intimidates a shitload of people that aren't growing up in that culture. So. You show up around like, wait, you're gonna go fucking surf out there? They're fucking sharks. Look how big it is. Like you know, people aren't ocean savvy. So yeah, but if you didn't surf, like you know, you guys know how it is. If you didn't surf from like Grom Hood into a certain thing, your surfing is just not what Develop. surfing yeah. developed. Yeah. And if when you can surf, dude, you're on a whole different. Like you can go anywhere, and if you can fucking surf, yeah, everyone <laughs> will just look at you and just be like, oh, you can surf. Yeah. You can actually like. And that's, then most that's people are not trying. We talk about that a lot. Like, for, for me, it's like when you 
because we are surfers, right? And in business, people want to do business with people they like. Yeah. yeah. And surfers want to do business with surfers. Yeah. They like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if you can surf and you're a cool guy, right? Yeah. Then you're, you're, yeah. you're up here. You yeah. Know? Straight up. But um, okay, so here you That's are, awesome. promoter. You start painting because I want to start talking about you yeah. know, your ascension yeah. into the art world. So yeah, so so it went from the clubs. I like made partner, and then I had more time. You know, in my last two years in nightclubs, I was only working two days a week, so I don't have to show up to my restaurants two days a week. Then I maybe pop by a club, but I'd send everybody still on the same salary. And then, um, so how, how that happened? That is so fucking crazy. Yeah, right? so crazy. So this is how it happened. This is how my art career happened in just a flat, easy way. Instagram started popping. I was living in Laurel Canyon. I sold five paintings in one month for five grand each. Dang. That's how it happened. Off Instagram. When it first started happening? That's how it first started happening. I, I set up a studio in my Laurel Canyon house, going to nightclubs. All of the right rich people following me. And everybody's me. following you. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. of the right people are following me. I didn't know how to set my prices. I sold about five to six paintings. Doctors, people. I have no idea coming down my stairs in Little Canyon carrying these paintings up. I took that money and I um, saw a, a, a sign on Fairfax by LACMA. And then somebody hit me up randomly and said, hey, like, I know that guy. And I said, hey, dude, I have, like, can I rent the studio and use it as a studio? It was, it was a chiropractic office. It was all beat up and floors were all messed up. So I, I rolled the dice and I said, you know, I'm going to get my own studio. And I, I think that I can do this. If I can sell five paintings online to strangers, I know my marketing. I know my energy. I know I can reproduce this. Somehow, I just can figure it out. Yeah. Cut to, spend all the money, get in the place, put the paintings everywhere. I don't know how to fucking put paintings on the walls. It was all stacked ugly because I didn't know. Cut to, no paintings. I'm like, you know, the rent is f- almost five grand. I'm just like sitting there just going, this is over. I'm over. I'm going to get, this is the only credit I had, dude. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm never going to be able to like lease anything. Like, yeah. you know, my house, the, but one of my clubs shut down. We're building another one. I'm like, just going, fuck, dude. Like, I fucked up. Like, you, know? you just had so much instant success. You thought it was just like, yeah, yeah. going to be. Yeah. So, a uh, beautiful woman from um, a global woman hits me up on my phone and says, hey, I love your work. I want to come by the studio. Um, she's from Istanbul. I say, fine. <laughs> I need money. <laughs> I open the door and she walks in and she's very, very, she has a clothing line. She's very beautiful, international, like Mykonos type of like that like upper echelon type of feel. She's like, here's my husband. I'm like, hey, dude, show me what you have. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, step back. He's like, what are the prices? And I'm like, uh, 10 grand, too high. And I'm like, okay, uh, like, okay, how about this? I'm just going to show you. Just, and I go across the wall and he's like, stop. And I'm like that. And he's like, I'll, we'll take that one. We'll take that one. We'll take that one. We'll take that one and that one. They bought five. They bought least. like four or five, four or five paintings. Five. And I didn't know how to price them. I told him like another 40 grand. He told me, he laughed at me and told me he'd pay like 32 grand or something like that. So literally, I... I thought it was like a joke. Yeah. I'm like, dude, this is too, like so. So the so she leaves, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, like what? I felt cool. Nothing happened. Like, and so I'm right on Instagram. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, how do we move forward? <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. So then she comes. So back she's and, on Instagram. Yeah, she's on Instagram. And this that's is all, how she contacted. Yeah, you yeah this is all DM, dude. This is all DM game. 
And then, you know, and then uh, they bought the paintings. And then I had to, they had to ship them and she was leaving the next morning. So I had to like... To Istanbul? Istanbul. So I had to knock them off of the, the, the frames because she wanted to roll them up. But I'd yeah. never done it. So I ruined them. And so I had to like, I had to like repaint over them and glue them. If you're listening, they're there, but you'll never see them. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll never see it. Don't worry. Yeah. But I like, because I had never done that before. And I had like 24 hours. So they gave me a check. I paid my landlord just to be safe for one year. And uh, you, and then I was like that, and then that was it. I was like, but you're still working for the club. I'm still in the club. Okay, I'm, and I'm my ego still in the club. Yeah, I'm still wearing the leather jackets and the de- like the Saint Laurent boots and the skinny jeans and smoking fucking Parliament lights and driving a fucking S class like like pulling up yeah. and, and, and valeting. Yeah, now everywhere. you you validate your artist worthy. Yes, yes, and uh, <laughs> I, I I I but but. Two very successful transactions, you know, within a relatively short yeah. time, right? Like, so, uh, so sorry to go back, but uh, the Instagram one, you sold five paintings in a week. Yeah, but for the very first time I started making money, I sold five, five or six for five grand in a month. Yeah, in a month. Yeah, in a month, which is a lot of fucking money. Yeah, for, for at that the, time for the, art, dude. The margins like, in the paintings. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wow, and then uh. And then it just, everything is so intrinsic that it happens to me. I, I honestly just have always felt like I just have this energy and I kind of just roll with my energy and the people in my relationships. <laughs> and I, and I just, I just let what happens happens. And I, and it's yeah. a, yeah. You don't think so, too far ahead. You don't try to have this master plan, but you're just going with the flow. So this lady, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She's gnarly. She's high society. Yeah. She's like, yeah. She's, she, she's big on Instagram. Or, yeah. She's big on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. And then Miss Moss Clothing or something. She has some cool brands. It's still like a big brand. And then yeah. did she turn around and promote you? Uh, no. 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 Well, they did. They put me on. Like, actually, yeah, their house was in some magazines and some like write ups and stuff like that. Yeah. And the art was in there, so it, it worked. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool, but you know, it it really took um, a long time for me as an artist. Okay. It didn't happen overnight. I had been painting and rejected for 20 years, from graffiti all the way till three years ago, four years ago. It took a long time. None of my friends, nobody I knew bought my paintings. Even when I got home from prison, my first art shows, I had a couple like people buy the sh- paintings, but nobody wanted to buy my paintings because I was Lewis. I was the party boy that everybody knew, yeah. and I wasn't the artist. So dude, I've had to fight I had to but, fight. But you had art shows when you when you got, got home? home prison? Yeah, right away. Okay. Yeah, right away. I had a big show that was on MTV that Paris Hilton hosted. What? Yeah. We skipped over that. You yeah. Didn't, you didn't bring that up. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I had a... He had a Paris Hilton art show. Right when I got out of prison, she hosted a show for she hosted a show for me. It was all over the news. It was all over MTV. And After that, I had so many people from prison writing letters to my mom's house asking for money. It was insane. <laughs> Anybody I gave my my address to in prison was asking for money. After that show, because they thought I was like rich or something, but yeah. it's far from the truth. Because it's like, so so you try that. You were hoping that would launch your artist career, but it didn't. Yeah, everything I thought about the art world. I learned in the last three, four years, and everything I thought about marketing in the art world, it's, it's, it's completely backwards, the art world. The art world, the actual art world, is the one percenters. You cannot market to them. They don't want to talk to you. Yeah. It has to be narrative-based, and they have to find it on their own through relationships. And the more that you go, hey, I'm over here, the more you just look like a fucking beggar. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, so literally, like the art 
of where my career is now. Like, dude, I'm very, I post on Instagram and I have my little my little brand. But you you know you can't do things like in hindsight. In hindsight, like right now, if I did a if I did a show and Paris Hilton was the host, it, I it would be the be I, detrimental. It would be detrimental. Yeah, to me, yeah, yeah, straight up. Because it like, wouldn't be taken seriously. No. So yeah. like you you know it's, it's all gotta about, be organic and you got to do it for the love and not for the notoriety of the money and it's all about professors like yeah. now my career is like you know I go and speak at Pepperdine I got my GD in fucking prison and I'm speaking at Pepperdine I was gonna I was gonna mention yes. that yeah uh, like, just it, you know if you do any public speaking based on the the rehab and the the you know the I, prison you yeah. know I speak about art to okay. professors they they write papers on my narratives. And then those par- those papers get published in academic places, and that's how you get gravity in the art world. It's through academia, which is so fucking funny because I'm I come from the opposite side of it. Yeah. So which is really intriguing. Yeah. So like you know like uh, um, Brian Keenan uh, is a mentor of mine and friend of mine. He is the uh, the um, he works at the he worked at the Getty Manuscripts Curator of the Getty. He'd been there for eight years. He writes forewords on me and papers on me, and he is a professor at Pepperdine. He teaches art history. Yeah. So I get to go and speak to the art department in front of, you know, trip. 50, How cool. 50 or 100 you art students. You start off by saying I used to go into I used to uh, follow the dead no I started this one by saying I started this one into a bunch of boys and girls in a college and I said hey guys how are you guys everybody good actually this is my first day in college ever I've never even been on a college campus if I wasn't skateboarding one yeah yeah that's awesome. Yeah, that's what I. That's how I usually like. And these kids are like, yeah, what? Yeah, but they just, you know, they're studying art history, and yeah. I'm getting. And at that time, so how I did it is I, I manipulated the whole shit. I built it. I have a manager. We, we, we built what I have. Yeah. Like this didn't. It didn't come because my art's the best. It didn't come because this and that. I, I know. I can find industries. I've been an entrepreneur, and if there is somebody else doing it. I can do it. Mm-hmm. If somebody else's team can do it, I can do it 100%. Because I have, most likely I have more better relationships. Yeah. And I can paint better than most when it comes to my field. Faster. It's just, it's just what I do. It comes out of my body. And, I'm, and with the graffiti background, I do have the arrogance because that street shit is authenticity. Yeah. So all these new artists coming up, I don't care who you are, where you're from, like if you and if you're painting any type of street shit and you weren't fighting over art in the nineties, I just go, you just like you ain't even you can't even get to where we are. Yeah. Straight up. So like, so after that, right, after you sell to the lady the five or six four, five, six paintings, then what happened? Then uh I would just have my studio and I was just painting and I was calling it in and then I was trying to like tell my partners and my clubs like hey let's do some art stuff and they're like dude okay can you get more people to the club I'm like yeah if you paint it I'm like yeah so then my partners are like being open to like so then like go to the painting outside or inside or whatever yeah both both so we we I started using my 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 club relationship so then so I would go to Cannes for the film festival which I did five years in a row. And then now it's like my my Bootsy Bellows pop up. I'm like painting a mural outside. So I like set it up so the people didn't know. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you go to our pop up and I'm outside like painting a painting. And, and how like that's fucking kind of a rad collaborative story. right? Yeah, like, that's cool. The owner, the, the, the owner of the club is a fucking artist. 
Yeah. And he's painting a mural, you know, yeah. like it just that makes, makes that club more, more unique. cool. Yeah, yeah more unique. Yeah. And adds value to you yeah. and the club. Yeah, you would think, you know, it seems like that and in a lot of industries it would like cross over, but in in nightlife it just doesn't. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, people are there for women and to get wasted and like I learned my biggest like out of all that like to this day it's like tell artists like dude like don't do shit with nightclubs. Yeah. Like it just people just don't care. They're like there for things and it's not to look at art let me tell you dude like you know so but uh it was cool i got commissioned when i was out there which is awesome just off instagram a family wrote me that lived in off into the hills in the south of france and took me up to their huge house and had a canvas for me and wine and cheese i don't drink but like sat with family they want me to wanted me to paint them this painting so i went and they sent me a driver so i painted it this beautiful like estate for two days and got a new portrait of them no i just painted like a freestyle painting like I did some like they ocean. give you guidance like hey no, no, man, just no. like hey go no, people people don't do that yeah you don't do that I don't I just broke I just told them years ago I set the tone like I don't really do commissions like that I yeah. just I kind of flow and if, I mean if people are cool I'll be like yo throw me some birthdays or some names of some kids and I'll tag them in there put them in there somewhere so they yeah. get a little bit of some family stuff in there you know yeah um but yeah so then that was how crazy did that and then um and then yeah and then I got I got hired to paint the the replica of the Stanley Cup yep. for the Blackhawks for the Chicago Art Fair. So I fly out there. That was for a company. I'm not even going to name the tequila company because they're not worthy. But um, <laughs> uh, a tequila company paid me, flew me out there. And then um, they set up this whole thing to for me to do this, you know, have the Blackhawks down and then uh, paint the Stanley Cup which wasn't their idea, which was my team's idea. Yeah. But I was just trying to utilize their money for them to gain visuals for everybody so everybody wins. You know, that's like the objective with me and my art. And I do do stuff with brands, but it has to be culturally on my side winning and it has to be like culturally winning for them. And how do we marry that? It can't be forced. Yeah. Yeah, How do we marry that? And how does it look organic? Yeah. You know, so, and then this dude was from Mexico, just a very, very wealthy Mexican tequila dude. And it just, we just, I was just like, nah, dude, I'm not that dude. Like, yeah. I'm not the dude. I don't drink. I'm not, te- you knew I didn't drink. I'm not holding the fucking tequila. I'm not pretending like I'm drinking it. I don't know who the fuck you think I am, but like, yeah. you're tripping. Yeah, like, you should have done your research on me. Yeah. yeah, so not the, for me to drink. So the best part about it is this. So the dude who is his right-hand man running his tequila company was my bottle host and friend from nightclubs. Oh my god. Who brings in all the money from sports. He's the guy that like stood outside of our clubs and just all the ballers. He has a Rolodex. His phone is just millionaires. Sports athletes and millionaires. So he's working for this tequila guy. This tequila guy fires him right in front of me because of him and I are friends and he's yeah. sticking up for me. The tequila guy just says, fired, done, you're out of here. And I'm like, and this guy has like kids. I'm like, dude, wow. like, whoa, that sucks. This guy's a real, like, yeah. you know? So I said, hey, dude, you have the Rolodex of people. If you want 20%, you're jobless now. Why don't you manage me? We know nothing about art. You're one of the smartest guys I know. Is that the dude that's Yeah, that's, that's, that's my manager yeah, now. Manager. And I said, let's reverse engineer this whole thing and let's create boilerplates Let's hire a publicist. Let's fucking create this and let's start swinging at bulls and start aiming and shooting. And I go, if we aim and shoot, 
enough times and the, the authenticity of the art starts growing and we can create this, it's not going to be easy, but we can start hammering. Yeah, why not? Cut to, I'm painting a jet two years later at Art Basel. Like, and that was like the blow up point of like getting commissioned by an airport to like paint a, 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 hot, a private jet. International... What is it called? The symbols of travel. Symbol international symbols of travel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's your like tagline for that. That's the, my graffiti. I don't like doing it, but that's my graffiti thing. Yeah. That's what I do on like I just did it on a big hotel, the Andes Hotel. I get offers for bid. I mean, I don't say yes, but like that I painted those all over the world, like more than like you know, and I I have them on my fingers just for reference points when I'm way up on ladders and cranes because I forget what order they go in so I had to tattoo them on me so you have a method to your madness yeah like you know <laughs> yeah. it is yeah. for sure so and, wow. I, and I and I just did a deal for the first time with a store called The Real Real so they're one of the biggest stores in LA New York Miami they take in high end apparel used from like rich people so their whole thing is Gucci it's like the most high repurpose like all yeah. the rich from, yeah in the box yeah in the box stylus and stuff like that and I've never sold these the international symbols of travel but their stores are so so many people go in I'm like it's like it's like popping in LA so I did a deal with them um, I'm gonna be doing all of their stores with just the symbols so it's like a lower end kind of wallpaper steez of my symbols for the mass market yeah for people that still, you know, come from that and understand the the identity of brand and the brand savviness. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Is it cheesy to do like a like a wall pit? You know, like no. to, to to like roll that out. Like, hey, like, you know, you know. That's capitalism, brother. I know, but I just didn't yeah. know. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it can hurt like, you. Yeah, like it can hurt. You. It can hurt you, but you know, like if you do it a cheesy way. Yeah. I have to do my symbols only and they have to be a whole different language and marketed different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like how cool. I couldn't so, I couldn't do my normal art yeah. like that because it would hurt the 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 what, just what I'm doing. What's yeah. your eight, uh, manager's name? Benjamin Greenfield. And he and you and he have expanded your empire, right? You yeah. you've diversified your portfolio. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in many in many ways, you know, we uh, so I follow you on Instagram, homie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I see all the big things that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So just um, at the end of the day, I'm a creative, you know, and with uh, we have good collectors. So when you have a lot of collectors and people that have taken a lot of responsibility in their lives and saved and sold companies and are able to buy things of value um you're able to really get in with families so like you know my collector database is of are just amazing people that are all have lots of wealth and as a creative they're just in with me like Mm -hmm. if i want to do something they're down you know so like we we've done a lot of things but it's, it's it's interesting that my life came from abusing drugs and abusing things and um you know now you know we're we're about to do a big legal cannabis grow you know funded by art clients awesome it's like amazing what what's it called there's no name there's there's no name we're going to be doing a very very high-end grow and then potentially just wholesaling it Mm -hmm. until uh 
I know the cannabis industry very, very well. And yeah. until there's more states online, I think it's a good time now. But uh, I really want to work on the cultivation side. Um, yeah, because you've been posting like farms and stuff that you guys yeah for a long time, with, right? Yeah, yeah, long time. So yeah, yeah we have a uh, we're we're in the the cannabis space. My brother, my brother does uh, that. What's your brother's name again? Marco, Marco yeah. Carrion. Yeah, and uh, you know we he's we, he we and and Benjamin. They're integral in all your yeah. endeavors, right? Yeah. yeah, we we all work we all work together, um, and then um, you know when the farm bill passed two and a half years ago, uh, I did twenty acres of uh, hemp, and we grew twenty acres of hemp, and then um, we just looked for a strategic partner, and uh, we partnered with uh, GVB. They're a very big uh, CBD manufacturer out of. Uh, Las Vegas and uh, so we've been building this behind the, the curtain brand of culture for CBD for quite some time for actually a few years and um, it's culture based I watched a lot of CBD companies and I have a black belt in cannabis and CBD <laughs> so like like it's all I've put my time in and for decades with that plant and the, my crew and um, really excited to launch the CBD brand um, I know you guys have one here so uh, <laughs> you know but um, yeah it's uh, it's called Surfa I like it yeah it's called Surfa and uh, we just signed Mason Ho for uh, as our partner and lead get um, the fuck out of here no yeah. Mason I just kicked it with him the other day he just inked the paper and uh, he's going to be our brand ambassador yeah. and our, our friend and our and our global homie. Yeah. Um, um, now, how do you spell it? S E R F A, Surfa. Okay. Um, and then Logan Doolian. Yeah. Is my Snapped! is my partner. Yeah. Lo- Logan reached out. Yeah. He reached out to me. I don't know. Yeah. It was maybe six months ago. Yeah. Four months ago. Oh, why yeah. didn't you tell me? What a dickhead this guy is. <laughs> so yeah, so Lo- Logan's our Logan's our partner. He's running the whole surf side. We're the number one sponsor for Snap Four. We're launching at the uh, in August at the Big Surf Contest here with the Snap Four for the uh, the hundred and twenty thousand dollar prize for um, the best uh, uh, video part for yeah. Snap Four. Fucking so we awesome. have all we have all those boys. That's gonna be so huge. Yeah, and we're uh, we're a culture based company. We're not trying to like be anything. We're not. We grow literally. I grew it. I fucking grew the shit. I cut it down myself. Like we yeah. grew it, and my family cut it down ourselves. And we're not trying to be big. We're not trying to be anything. We're not. But we're just trying to be the the culture move of the CBD side. You know what I mean? So uh, we're. Uh, well, it's a good timing. I mean, there's no. It's not going away. It's only getting you know more popular, more and more more accepted, yeah. and, and yeah. you know. Well, the product works, dude. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, our product has uh, THC in it, so there's 0.3 THC. A lot of people aren't doing that because they think. Uh, but there is such thing as the entourage effect. Yeah. And they need to go together in order for you to have real uh, benefits, or just use the straight up THC stuff because that's going to take the pain away the most you know yeah but and i'm all banged up dude from the skating the surfing and the drugs yeah yeah <laughs> so so what else other like businesses do you have is that that's pretty much it and you're not doing the club promotion anymore no no i'm not doing the club promotion yeah. but uh i will be designing some homes right now i'm designing a house out in joshua tree um and i'm going to be going into development and I think the progression of my art is um, 
I'm just super busy with art. Like art yeah. is crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. I have a full on team. I have publicists internationally. I have a statue coming out that's been being made for the last three and a half years in Mexico City that Dang. just that just got a emailed. Statue? Yeah. It's uh, of the David. It's of Bernini's David and it's it's absolutely crazy. beautiful and yeah. I I made it. It's out, it's made of marble, it's five thousand pounds. Uh, images are going to some of the highest, highest uh, families in the world right now. Um, the royal family from Abu Dhabi is looking at it. Wow. Um, I have an art show in Mexico City, which is most of my clients are in Mexico City. I have a pretty cool following down there yeah. like for support. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. And a lot of the, you know, I want to talk about specific, specifically the art that I've seen that I'm like, whoa, that's there's like the ballet ones that you do and then the the religious mm-hmm. uh I, I it's not really like the dinner you know like trap supper yeah trap yeah. supper yeah so to me growing up surfing christian surf contests being a christian at a young age in orange county but not really knowing what a christian was you know, or what you're supposed to be when you're a Christian. You got a lot of other things, you know, you got a lot of, you know, and in that time there wasn't a lot of information about marijuana and a lot of drugs. It was just like, you sin, you sin, you see the people. But just growing up in Orange County, in this, you know, when yeah. you're, at, you're at like Calvary Chapel and everyone's singing to Christian and then you see the people that you look up to doing a bunch of shady shit and you're like, okay, what is being a Christian? I'm, and you don't have a personal relationship with God because you're still a Grom, you don't really know spirituality or yeah. stuff. So, my art is pretty much a representation of taking the most famous, iconic visuals from the Renaissance, things through history that have been spoken about up till this date, and then I take them and then I put my modern twist on these images and characters, beer bottles, money counters, like I turn them into more of like street motifs, but base it around history and culture. So when street kids like myself, look at my art, they get a sense of religion, but they also get a sense of who they are. Like it turns everybody into a saint or a sinner because at the end of the day, it's got kind of both in some of them. It looks like, like, you know, and at the end of the day, you have to be able to identify both pieces of your light and your shadow in order to become a master of self. So to my to my art, this guy's like, deep over here, fuck, man. <laughs> like, that's it's that, true, you know. That's what you kind of need to do. And nobody was painting when I'm painting. Like I have my own style. Yeah. I own my style, and that's why I think I'm climbing in the art world yeah. faster than others. Because uh, and, and what's cool is is seeing you travel to these places and and really live that life, you know, of getting inspired. By where it came from, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, so I, I don't know where I, you know when when you were uh, where, where did you go when you you had the fucking thing over your head? Um, yeah. So I go to Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yeah, I go to Ethiopia. Like they're having some turmoil though now, but for the last couple of years, I go to Ethiopia and I go I meet with the high priests there and I donate to the churches and then I go on my thirty day fast and I go in with the monks and I go just into the most Christian of Christian places that you could ever become, like old world. Like they built these monolithic churches there. It's in the vein of Rastafari and things that Bob Marley was talking about. His kids were baptized there. Um, I got baptized there. 
So it's pretty much like old world Christianity, and it's just completely different than the Christianity we know here mm -hmm. because they do old world traditions. So they practice kind of like the Jews. They have a weekly and food, and the way the way it is, it's a very traditional ritual, ritual yeah. cultural, cultural. So uh, yeah, I, I go there. Um, you know, that's like pretty astounding to hear that you. It's a sacrifice to learn more and get uh, deeply inspired. I believe, right? Cause, yeah. Because, I, I mean, it, I could imagine you going there and like, oh, you're fasting for fucking, you know, yeah. two weeks or whatever. And your mind goes through a metamorphosis, right? And you come back and you're like, oh, wow. You know, you, it, in, in the dark recesses of, of your yeah. subconscious, you're probably like seeing things that's being brought forward from these you know sacrifices seeing things smelling things it's a it's such a deep spiritual growth like yeah. it's if people read the bible like going to ethiopia is like literally living in the bible you're literally like you know one night you're walking down the street and everyone's carrying their goat and their baby lamb and the next morning you wake up and there's blood flowing down the street like a river and there's stacks of skins that are roof high and maggots and flies everywhere and everyone's eating just this just <laughs> the, just this just the smell it's of been that. like that for thousands of years just and the smell of that to us here like the first time i was there i couldn't even, like yeah. i'm like i can't even that's real that's that's like you know they break fast and they kill their animal like you know and like i wanted to go experience that because i believe in energy whatever god you believe in um i believe in energy and i believe if you're tapped into a frequency that your life can excel and once you find your frequency you have to service your frequency or else your anything can slip in your life and you guys know people that excel at things and are just always good at things or can put things together it's not just because of some reason it's just not just that they're just like that and maybe they don't know it or not but like we all ride a current where we're filled with electricity yeah you know you, you think negative and you think you're oppressed and you think this you're that's how you're gonna exert yeah. exert your you know like if you think positive and you're optimistic and you're you're happy and your 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 wheel is focused on good then mm -hmm. good things are gonna happen for sure i mean yeah we know yeah yeah we we're I'm just blown away. Like, we're gonna send this out to like all the like top movie. We're gonna get you a movie. Like, <laughs> he probably already has one going. Bro. I know he's just uh, holding it down. <laughs> like, this is incredible. I just did actually. Like, I just did a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I did, saw that. I did do a movie. It was <laughs> so crazy. Val Kilmer. I only did it because Val Kilmer kills me in the end. Yeah. So and I was like, he's like one of my heroes. So I was like, I took the role and did it, and it was it was a, it was a layup. It was a yeah. layup. It would be like you giving him a movie. It was like yeah. my home. It was like my homie dude that like makes movies calls yeah. me. He's like, Yo, you want to be in this movie? And I'm like, uh, No. And he's like, Val Kilmer kills you in the end. I'm like, oh, I'll be there. <laughs> he's like, I'll yeah. be there. Were you a bad guy or something? Yeah, I played a I played a hitman for the Mexican cartel. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like I already I already. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on both sides of that coin. Yeah. That's that, it. What's the movie called? It's called Pay Dirt. Paid Dirt. Yeah. Paid Pay Dirt. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty, I don't know, it was, it's on pay-per-view or whatever. <laughs> I just did it as an art form. Yeah. The only reason I took it, yeah. I did an acting Put yourself class. out there and How long ago like. was this? This was like six months ago? Year, what? A year ago? Like, I, yeah. I saw, I saw, I remember seeing the, the post about it. Yeah. And then it finally yeah. took months to come out. But I did, uh, I did acting school for a year, like uh, six, four months and had to complete this certain class to yeah. do it because the director was like, he's never acted. And my friend was like, just put him in the fucking movie. Yeah. yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, but see, like these things like that, you put energy. I have no shame though. Yeah, I'm just one of those people that has no shame. So if like no shame, yeah, if you're willing like, to take risks, risks, you know, and gain and, knowledge too. If yeah. you guys were like, hey, dude, do this, and I'd be like, hey, just teach me how to do it, bro. Like, yeah. fuck, I'll climb the, I'll get there, bro. Just yeah. you know, show me. Yeah, like you, you mentioned earlier, like if if somebody did it, then I know it, it's doable. It's possible, know? like it's possible, right? like it's I'm, possible, especially yeah. in business. Yeah. Let's, and, let's talk about surfing for a little bit, please. So so. Where and where, where and when do you, because I've seen you everywhere, like from your post. Mm -hmm. You got a place in Nicaragua or property in Nicaragua, Nicaragua mm -hmm. right? I go down there a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Go, I go down there a lot. Um, been going down there, not for long though, because a lot of people have been going longer, about six or seven years. So uh, I was going to- We ran into you there. Yeah. 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 I was going to make- I don't think I was on that show. Okay. No. I would have I I remembered. Yeah. yeah. When I think of him, when I see him- in my mind, I have one clip in my head of you that I'll see forever. You do a frontside lipper, frontside. We don't need grab. it. The show's not about Lee. It's always about me. No, but listen, <laughs> listen, it was one of the coolest moves, and it was the, one of the cleanest frontside lip throw tail frontside grab reverses that I had ever seen in my life, and it stuck in my head. So when I think well, of you're you, paddling out, you're right there. Hey, I, was, I, I was. I'm gonna cut that part out. I was. I was. I was. I was somewhere like in the vicinity and saw it. So yeah. anytime your name comes up through the last life, that's, that's the, what I that's have. Hear that, Grom? Do you hear that? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Jay Junior was here to front side roll grab reverse embedded in his mind. Yeah. For real. Oh, I appreciate God, that. Why, very, why very, you, very steezy too. Very why steezy. would you? Why would you admonish this guy's uh, ego? Hey, Gosh. You, know, you know, because now right. I gotta move over to the side again. Listen, just take a back big. seat, bro. No, like you know. Just kidding. No, <laughs> this is how we talk. There was a yes, yeah, of course. We're That's home. so awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I appreciate so awesome. that, and yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we, we obviously have this show. I mean, surfing is in our DNA, and I mean, as as you know, it's so addicting, and we work. And it's work and family and surf and work yeah, and family and it. surf and that's it. So, so not out of order. Always. So where, where else do you like to go? <laughs> I surf Colorado's. That's it. Like yeah. I'm down there a lot. I'm down there a lot. Uh, before the pandemic, I was down there the last six years, all summer, back and forth, doing 15 flights a summer, staying two weeks at a time. Just I found that wave, and it was the it was literally reminded me of Seal Beach in the early 90s. Mm. It was like a perfect culmination of north side and south side put together. And I don't like big waves. I grew up in Seal Beach. So when anybody's like, do you like big waves? I'm like, do I grew up in Seal? Like, like, I like head high. You and Lyndon have something in common. <laughs> I, like, I tell people if I can't do floaters at the end, it's too big for me, bro. <laughs> like, if I can't do floaters, like, you know, I like getting barreled. But like, yeah. so yeah, I surf, uh, I surf Colorado's. I surf the boom. The boom is another wave that I love. And somebody's probably going to get mad that I put that on, out there. But whatever. whatever. What about like... Mentwise or I'd done a few trips to the Mentwise and you know what it was uh, I like the Mentwise and we stay and I'm friends with Christy that owns Hideaways I stayed on Hideaways both times that wave is awesome but it scares me yeah so like and and like so you know how they do it like the men's boat and the pussy boat I'm like every day I'm just like waiting I'm like telling you I'm, like, I'm on the pussy boat today just let them go first I'm gonna pretend I'm sleeping okay yeah. <laughs> like the, the full jocks up at like four in the morning and three dude. cups of coffee and they're frothing yeah you got fucking and then, and then Jeff Allen dude Jeff Allen's a good friend of mine he, he's another uh, he's a fucking he's another he's yeah. a seal yeah. seal yeah. seal with an HP yeah. yeah but uh, he you know he took me on both of my trips and he's just out there 
it fucking just dropping it on the biggest yeah. set. Just, and I'm just like... He lives in Costa Rica now? Yeah, yeah. He lives in Costa Rica. He's in Bali right now. He's a he's a real good friend of mine. He's so epic. Legend. Shout out to, to the dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um. So, yeah. So I yeah. Want, Sorry to interrupt, but I, when he was building his houses down there in Marbella, he was, we were surfing and here comes this like... Skinny. Well, no, like a full like... 18th century like horse and buggy like bull you know like dragging this big like tree trunk beam like up the beach we're like whoa how's this like guys like you know whipping this freaking bull or you know and he's dragging and we get in and it's freaking Jeff he's like yeah I built my house over on the side of the trees over here just a freaking big piece of lumber and I'm like yeah yeah like that's just you know like the stories you brought him up and that's my last memory <laughs> yeah he's awesome uh, he, he took me out there a couple years meant to why it's all good i like i scored by myself though a lot of other little waves that like i just need like head high the little barrel like amen I, brother i got some big ones at hideaways but you know what to be honest with you the the day that my whole life came to as a surfer happened and i didn't get the wave that i wanted so i have i have a i have a me and the mentorize and hideaways we have a time and it's coming i have to train for it but like i there was it was like 12 foot faces to me and it was the scariest wave i've ever seen and it was perfect and there were and i'm goofy foot and people were just getting the biggest barrels of life and i went out and i was scared yeah, like am i gonna come back and conquer this yeah i was scared because dude i've been in hollywood did you know how i trained fucking paddling in my pool in the Hollywood Hills, bro. Like, one day a week. Didn't don't surf. Didn't surf for four months and then went to the Mentawise training in my stupid pool and then thought I could, like, nah, bro. It's like, you gotta take the ocean seriously when it's that big. Yeah. And, like, I can mess Is around. Is that the last trip out there? No, I went in one after that okay. again and it didn't get that big. Um, but we surfed a lot of little waves and I just, I love it out there. But, you know, it's it's far. I got a team here. And, yeah. You know, it's like, it's far. So, South Africa, you said you Go for months at a time. Yeah, I was been going, there. Yeah, and what what part like Durban? South no, I'm South Cape, uh, Cape, Town? Cape Town. Yeah, Cape Town. Surfing all the little like nooks and crannies. Uh, the boys there showed me like which way waves to surf because there's a lot of water in South Africa. So it's like you look out and it looks like like if it looked out here, just big and stormy and gnarly. The water's like offshore and like yellow. Yeah, and there's like shark flags on every beach, and you're kind of like, you know. So then uh. I went, I found this one little like they're gonna be there's it's, they're like there's a perfect wave for you if you don't like big waves you have to walk in it's a nude beach by the way I'm like oh great so I would go surf this little tiny like left rebound and it was like always shoulder high and it's freezing but... sounds like the perfect spot yeah <laughs> I know yeah so crazy yeah so but so, uh, how about uh like uh, wave pools have you done wave pools I was anti wave pool for the last couple years and then uh, Logan. Uh, convinced me to go with the, his little snap four crew so i was kind of like okay all my like all the kids i watch on instagram are gonna be there this will be fun even if i don't like rip it and i went and it was awesome it was awesome you yes sir yeah that little so left fun. is perfect like you don't need to me i don't really need much than a little left like that i was so fun just doing lippers and having fun and watching like catching like, a lot of waves catching a lot of waves and yeah. and then watching like you know Guys. Watching Mace and watching, you know, uh, so all, creative that guy. All I those, all those kids. Are he's uh, the, the the content that he's putting out there, and you know the music and the, the style. Everything about that kid is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? It was a good, good, good vibes with him because we're very, very similar when it comes to respecting culture. Yeah, and so when I met when I met him, it was and we talked with Logan about 
the CBD company, mm-hmm. you know, like you hear CBD and what do most people, including myself, think? Oh, some fucking dudes that have a CBD company that have money behind them that are trying to like use people to make a bunch of money. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's what people think. And that's, they, I mean, that's in any industry, but it's yeah. definitely happened in that market yeah. for that, sure. More, more yeah. so that because people just automatically put CBD with some kind of weed or plant and think that every CBD company is like loaded and has some yeah. CEO behind them that's just like, you know, and so... It was very, like, a lot of conversation of, like, a family-based, small-time, like, respect. Because there, there ain't no amount of money that I'll go to hold up anybody's product when it comes to my art. And I know surfing is his art. And that's yeah. that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Culture-based. That's, that's awesome. Have, have you done Slaters at all yet or not yet? No, because I got invited a couple times. But, like, nobody, like... I always get invited, but it's just always weird. I feel like I'm always the guy that's like somebody's trying to like fill in their five thousand dollar gap or like ten thousand dollar gap. I get yeah. these weird texts by like business dudes like, "Hey, dude, we got another spot. It's eight grand for four. Oh, I'm always just like, like, no, dude. Like, I'm a real surfer, dude. I'll fly to I'll fly to fucking first class and bring four people with me to somewhere else, bro. Yeah, I hear it on that. Like the sure. day the day I get to surf that park, it's because like somebody wants me to surf it and I will pay, but it's because I'm invited as a surfer, not is trying and to it, fill up a financial slot, obligation. Slot fill. And, yeah. and, and, and I totally get that because even at, at BSR, it's like the best pool day. It's intimate. And if we, you're a good crew and everybody's having fun, it just, I mean, it's, yeah. the waves almost become like the bonus, you know? Yeah. It's everything else, when you think you're going to go there and it's just all about the wave, yeah. which it is. I mean, yeah. you want to get waves and stuff, but yeah. it's the best pool yeah. side surf day ever. Yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, They'll want some art around that place, and I'll get to paint a mural over there and there get a cu- get a couple waves. But like, <laughs> yeah, I always I always like to be go places yeah. with people that have already been part of culture, and I've never been invited yet in a group of culture people that know Kelly or know the place and are going there because like I don't want to just go in with like like nine Hollywood guys that like want to fly over there and like. Dudes, it just like it, yeah. it, it is what it is. The only time I've been invited See the Miss Waves and Pearl on, on the takeoff. <laughs> yeah, and then they and everybody that Hollywood surfs, they're like, oh, like I spent this amount of money and like I I only had twelve waves and I fell and like this and that. So it's a hard it's hey, hard to watch. Those are the guys that I would invite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those Why? Because you just you, spin you, around and you, get them. Yeah. That, so yeah. So so Lou. I would. Okay, go. Lou. I should go. I, I would. I would go when you have the next opportunity with a crew like that because you're gonna catch. You're gonna make more. You're gonna you're gonna catch you more bang for your buck. Way more really? bang. Yeah. Yes. There's no wave that goes unridden. It's stacked with people down the line. So when that guy falls, there's somebody right there. And if that guy falls, there's somebody right there. And when those guys, nobody ever shows that. <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen anybody sitting on the inside on any video. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, uh, never. Dude, I have been there eight or nine times. Yeah. And my second wave, this was last week, right? I posted on Instagram. I'm thinking, okay, you still get nervous surfing it, right? Because yeah. it is a, a little bit of a mind. mind a little? A lot. <laughs> so so I, already, I catch a wave already, right? And I get fully barreled at the end, come out. I'm already like killer. Like yeah. the, the nerves are gone. I get back to the spot. I'm up next. I start paddling. And... Either I was nervous, or I was cocky, or I was cocky nervous. I missed the wave. He 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 writes. <laughs> he needs more 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 foam. No, like, dude, yeah. I didn't. I just fucking didn't catch the wave. I, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> and luckily, like the guy I, that caught I, it gave yeah. me his wave. 
Yeah. Okay. So I didn't lose out on my way. But being your situation and, and your uh, opportunities to go there, you'll be fucking blown away. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I think it's awesome. I like the way it's it's you know, it's but, more than incredible. But you like I don't know. Yeah. I hated surfing contests. I hate when people watch me surf. So there you feel like you're limited. You only get four waves and what if you fall? It's like it, just just going into that and like, yeah. I was like Dude, well, all that is all that is true. And then you yeah. have to pay like a huge ticket for that. All that like, is huge. true. It's like it's but like, Dude. if you could experience hey, it. Hey, you go with the group group of the guys that you're talking about, your your four waves turns into like 12 or 15 waves. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've Easy. gotten a couple times where there wasn't that many savvy surfers in the water and it was just like killer yeah <laughs> oh, oh, oh oh yes killer <laughs> you, you go with a group, group of guys and nobody's falling and they're riding the whole wave and oh like, my gosh that's when you, you're like so frustrated okay. there's two okay. sides of the coin you know like having, 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 I didn't see that perspective yeah, yeah. but I mean you I know going to Mentwise going to Nicaragua yeah. Costa Rica I mean yeah. that's all amazing yeah but Surf France. I'd rather I'd rather go to Nicaragua yeah. or Mentawis and yeah, just like most sure. people, but you know. But it, when you when you experience, it takes you four hours to get there from yeah. from here. So right? that's like a flight to Costa or Nica. Yeah. yeah, and you know, sure, depending on how many people are in your group, it's you know, five six grand, whatever it is, it's a lot of money. Yeah, but you're guaranteed. You know. Yeah. Like every single wave that you catch is a. Perfect fucking wave. Same as Colorado's though. So, <laughs> same as Colorado's yeah. on the good on the good swell true, on pretty true. much every time. I just yeah. did nine days there and it was literally head high to overhead for nine days straight offshore and perfect the whole time. Yeah, yeah. the whole time. And it is like that. Yeah, literally all the time. All the time. And it, that's why I fell in love with it. You surfed your brains out. But and you guys are OGs. You guys get to go to this later thing. Like come on, yeah. like you guys are like top of the feeding group no. in the whole surf no. industry. We're, we're come on, like, you get to go roll over there. Thank like, you. You know what I mean? Plug the guy. Yeah, Kelly Sorensen on the beach. On the beach. He's he's uh, he he books days and uh, he, we were fortunate to come do yeah. some podcasts up there last week. Yeah. And, oh, cool. We got and, to do three different podcasts with industry peeps it was oh, pretty awesome yeah. that's cool yeah. yeah so we're leveraging you know yeah. our show and promoting yeah days of stoked yeah yeah but dude yeah i think we, we know you got to get to your go see dr you, sunny you're, you're you're a little late to dr sunny we met him at surf ranch yes oh yeah last week <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's actually he's awesome. yeah He's yeah. awesome. I'm going to go film him right now. You're going to film him? Yeah. Where he's going to be uh, one of our brand ambassadors for the CBD company. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we're going to start with the product in his surgery center, and then he's going to be on our website talking about because he used it all fucking week with his shoulder. So yeah. he, he wasn't even a believer, and then he was just, you know, using our. Yeah. Awesome. I'm not trying to play now, this thing. Like, no, it's great. Gonna be, is it already out or when are you going to launch it? Uh, we're going to launch it with a video, a mace, and Logan's putting that all together now. And then we're going to go on a little world tour after this the big contest here. And we're just going to be riding culture and doing other stuff. And like, it'll be, it'll be live online. And then we have our, uh, we have like a, a big sales strategy that we're, we're putting together to go through and, uh, like I said, dude, we're not in it for like anything but to just slowly seep it out into culture right now. Nice, dude. And to let it let that organically grow. You yeah. know, I it's all I grew it, I funded it. It's all it's all me. 
So it's like I, we don't have anybody breathing down our head like ROI, ROI. Yeah. So it's I know that uh, it takes time to make good things last. So uh, I want to do it right and really just not hold the flag of, hey, we're over here. Like, come. Yeah. Like, we're just going to just let it do what it did. And yeah. Do what it, it might take more time, Dude, but, I mean, but people, I think, see through the a lot of the BS on the, on the when they're shopping and, and you know, looking. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's easy to find a lot of info on anybody and everything. Yeah. So... Uh, more hats off of you sticking to your guns and, and doing it the right way. Yeah, yeah we'll see. We'll see yeah. what's up. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Legends, both both of you. I've known you guys for a long time, yeah. off, off and on. Yeah. You know? It's been a so, long time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Seal, so, Seal Beach is another world, but you know, I saw you guys and through through passing. Yeah. And yeah. When I had, yeah I, had, I had a good almost four and a half, five year stint in Seal Beach. Yeah. Yeah. You lived in Seal? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. In the new part of Seal. Well, I mean, it's Gung Grove Park on the, yeah, Heron Point right behind the, uh, Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I grew up on the hill with my backyard to Gum Grove. Yeah. So I remember I was, like, playing in there when they started that development. Yeah. Like, when I was a kid. Like, awesome, bro. Yeah, it was good times. Well, shoot, this has been fucking amazing. Um, Yeah. You know, being a, listening to how you were a skater, quit skateboarding because you did an aerial, a proper aerial. And then following the dead to graffiti and tour, then to drugs, going down the wrong path to clip going to jail, sobering up, I hanging out with Paris Hilton. That's, <laughs> Every, that's, that's not so much, but no, no but you know, but like all these, it is, all yeah, the crazy things yeah. that make your life so interesting. You yeah. know what I mean, it's, it, I mean, who else can say that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't know. But and, uh But it's that that's not what made you. Like you yeah. you know, you're mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, you're a businessman, you're a fucking artist, you yeah. know? Like that's I we're you know, yeah. we love talking to entrepreneurs and you know, having first time well, one of one of the you know, up and coming great arts artists, you yeah. know. Appreciate that. That surfs. Yeah, you know, and, and that's been from a, our world it's been a really I, long life for me yeah and, you know, this is our recap but i want to throw one more thing you you mentioned you know he brought up paris and like you know here she is on the celebrity she's you know obviously has shows had her own reality whatever but you said she was freaking a really cool gave you know extended her arm and helped you and in, in certain was there other celebrities that you know like where you're like you only know them from who they are and they end up being cool or is everybody kind no, of like i made friends with lots of them and that was always cool with them in and out of their rehab stints you know because it's always you know interesting I mean? to hear that perspective of like you know we only yeah. know a celebrity based on them what they've done yeah. on the commercial level but you yeah. know a lot of a lot of those people are you yeah. know pretty down to earth yeah now i have like you know clients that yeah. like you know support my art they're yeah. like famous in different ways yeah a lot of my clients are you know own basketball teams baseball teams stuff like that but it's all it's all there and mix mixing up but Uh, i will say this to be the last i've worked a long time in my life and i've hustled a long thing so i'm 44 years old and the most thing that i love the most is i can still almost land airs i still surf i still landed air here or two and i'm still frothing to surf every fucking day and i go to work in la and i sit in traffic I don't surf here, yeah. but I will be on a plane every two weeks, and I will hunt down swells in Central America. Yeah. So that's like my life. Hustle, surf, paint, and just stay on, stay on, the, fl- stay on the flow tip. Yeah. You know? Well, 
Well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Lewis, Lou, carry on. This has been a, an amazing conversation. Yeah. Fucking epic. Good luck with the art and stoked to hear you and Logan and Mason coming out with a, a new CBD brand called Surfa. Yeah. 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 We'll see. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you. Dad. Peace. Blessings. Peace out. Peace out, guys. WaveKey was created by Brad Gerlach to help improve your surfing. WaveKey is a land-based systematic surf training method. For all surfers, for all levels. Check out wavekey.com. That's W-A-V-E-K-I.com. Wax! The wax that's found under all of the best surfers on the planet. You mean late night? Always under my feet. And Chalky? How do you think I pull those big airs? And layback Lars. And those laybacks. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're not doing the 90s again, are we? I don't do those anymore. Foo Wax, the best wax in the game. Foo Wax. Caliente Southwest Grill. Healthy Mexican food featuring local organic ingredients. They also have great salads, vegetarian and gluten-free options. Wow. Yep. Don't they also cater and make party packs? They do. They have all your needs for all your events. Nice. Visit calientesouthwest.com. Or go to the restaurant in Costa Mesa off of 17th Street. Caliente Southwest. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 